Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. And I am a new tale of Shanna's new <laughs> nightmare that's oh, new. Yeah. New. Yeah. New Coke. New hat. Yeah, there, there were no easy names this time around, so I had to just kind of do something. You could add a Kichi to the end. You got a lot of those in our first film. That's uh, true. There's a Shimakichi, there's a Tamakichi. Uh, but before we get to that, quick error and sin of omission. Uh, at the end of last week's episode, we were talking about people who become real swole. It was Kumail Nanjiani that we were trying to come up oh, with. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> of course. We could not think of his name. Yeah, uh, but yeah, K- Kumail Nanjiani, who, do- who is great. Uh, I have not seen the movies that he's like totally swole in, but yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but our first film... Uh, does not feature a real swole action star. Uh, no, <laughs> although you'd think, but that's not really, yeah, I know that's not really the kind really of character thing. he is. No. Uh, new Tale of Zatoichi, the third entry in the series, uh, from 1963, directed by Tokuzo Tanaka. Uh, I, I noticed this time, and I think it's actually true, the first couple, but the score is by Akira Fukube, uh, who also did the score to Godzilla. Oh, interesting. And I hadn't really picked it up before, but it does have a really similar flavor in this one to Godzilla, because this one has a real doomy flavor to the sound. It it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A, a movie about how you can't go home again. Uh, <laughs> about how just Zatoichi goes back to the, the, the you know, his hometown, which... It's surprising how little time has passed when when we get there. But, uh, you know, he finds it sucks. (laughs) Everything sucks. It's much worse than he remembered. And everyone's bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I had a lot of trouble, like, figuring out just what the plot was, because it is just him really kind of finding out how much everything sucks. Yeah. Like, both how much everything sucks and how uh, just... Like he he's on the run, so it, it is still carrying on from the stuff from the previous one, because you know he's directly on the run for the end of the previous film. Like right. what happened there is what he's on the run from here, which is surprising continuity for one of these. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's from killing one of the uh, yakuza bosses, right? The main yakuza boss, uh, Kanbei, uh, from the end of the last one. The guy who was contracted to go after him. Okay, yeah. So yeah, it it starts with just general unrest. Uh, we see the title appearing over an abandoned campfire, and oh my god, it's in color! It's in color! Oh man, these movies needed needed the color. I mean, it really really helps. It really makes everything pop. It just really adds like a real warmth to this movie, which because uh, Zanichi yeah, is kind of a warm character. Zanuichi is definitely a very warm character. And yeah, the, the color adds a lot. I, I think this is definitely the best looking of the first three movies. And it's not that the black and white doesn't look good. It's that this uses the color really well. And it's interestingly framed. Like there's a lot of striking compositions that I didn't notice so much of in the previous entries. Uh, especially in this opening sequence where we have... Just the dark of night, but a lot of orange and yellow with lights and fires, just kind of as spots of light. It uses night very well, darkness. Yeah. 
So it's, it's people hunting for Ichi after the conclusion of part two, because Kanbei was killed. And I don't know, this guy seems to have like a million brothers. <laughs> I think it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Because didn't a few brothers get killed in the last one? I thought so, but like <laughs> there's there's several people who seems to be who seem to be his brother in this one, too. At well, least a couple, maybe three or four. You kind of got to wonder, though, because Yakuza, they always call each other like, bro, oh, right. you killed my brother. Like, right. you know, like that kind of brother. So who knows? It could yeah, be like, could be a combination. I, I think our main or not our main bad guy, but like the, the people who seem to be set up as the main people hunting him later on are his actual brothers, like his older that's, and younger brother. That's the feeling I get. Like they're they're the actual related brothers. Yeah. Main bad guy, though, is really we, they really want us to think he is. I guess. I don't know. So the, we, we start with these three thugs coming into a busy inn and one of them immediately spots Ichi in a corner eating rice. So he's too high profile now. People are always just seeing him and knowing who he is. It's it's the bond problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or the Sartana problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, I And I like that they go outside to discuss it because oh. I feel like <laughs> normally we just see them start to discuss it right there and they would be caught immediately. Like they have the presence of mind. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Hey, maybe let's, maybe let's not talk about killing the guy around the guy who's got super good hearing because he's blind. Yeah. They look at him. like, let's go outside and talk about this. Uh, and, stupidly though they decide to ambush him and it's like i thought you guys were smart you know this isn't gonna work <laughs> like, like they think he doesn't have a sword because it's changed hiding places but come on you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah no kidding he's got like a big i, I don't know if it's an umbrella looking it's thing. an umbrella yeah it is very obviously though where he puts his sword well, yeah, like he he doesn't have his cane anymore but he's prominently carrying this umbrella which is Exactly the same length and shape. It's like, I, I wonder where the sword could be, guys. I don't know. I, I, they, they're not thinking about it. So they, they surround him. They're like, this is vengeance for Kanbei. Uh, they charge. He draws and strikes. And there's only one of them left after that. <laughs> just like yeah, one strike, like, two down. I love what he says. He's like, I'm just cutting air. You guys just keep walking into it. I don't know, man. <laughs> You gonna keep walking into the air that I'm cutting? Well, yeah, uh, I only cut the air. So, do you want to come here and move some air? Uh, and the last <laughs> one just runs away in terror. Uh, I, I like that. It's it's like the Barton Lisa thing. I'm just exactly... gonna start kicking air, and if you get hit, yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. That's exactly what I was thinking of. So yeah, then we we get the next day Ichi encountering this bunch of singing children with lanterns, and I guess there's some sort of lantern festival coming up. And I thought this was something that's in this movie, but I think it's in a future one where there's this incredible forest full of lanterns and this whole action sequence at night. What I did find neat was like just how many people were on this road that he's going down. Mm -hmm. like, this one's busy. Yeah, like Japan is a. I kind of forget that, like, even though we've got like these sprawling wildernesses, it is still a pretty small. Japan's a pretty small place, and there's only so many roads, I guess. So well, yeah, yeah they're all a, gonna have people on them. 
it's pretty heavily populated. And, yeah. and this one, I, I guess, just feels more like it's taking place in population centers than the other mm-hmm. ones. This one doesn't, even though he's going back to his home small town, I guess just that he knows all the people there, that it, it yeah. just feels closer to the, you, you feel the, the amount of people around. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The thing with the children is weird because they sing about his hair thinning. Which is, oh, yeah, which is absolutely the opposite of true. No, yeah. Katsu has just this majestic solid brick of hair that's just impenetrable. Yeah. He's like, oh, about? I'm going bald? He just feels his head. He's like, no. Okay, I don't think so. That's <laughs> weird. So he runs into an old childhood friend, Tamakichi, who's traveling with his wife and kid. Right. Uh, He's oh he's the sink no yeah they they've fallen on hard times I I don't know what it was they said they did before things went south now they're traveling singers and shamus and that's players. right yeah yeah uh, and Tamakichi says it's his fault I think later it comes out that he has some sort of gambling problem but it's not clear like I I, yeah, I don't know yeah yeah he kind of gets he kind of gets dropped after like the first twenty minutes or so. Well, he, he has one thing to do, and then they just part ways, and, and we yeah. never see him again. Uh, I, I guess, you know, to his credit, he's someone who doesn't end up to be uh, an awful shithead like everybody else that Ichi knew as a kid. Hopefully, that's just, hopefully he's not, and it's not just because we haven't seen much of him. I mean, I guess it's hard to say, uh, but he seems to be okay. He, he does seem to be okay. Yeah. And, and yeah, they're they're saying how they're on hard times and Ichi hires them or, you know, he gives them, you know, their nightly feed. It's like, come stay with me at the inn and we'll uh, catch up. Uh, and he's like the, the weird thing with Ichi in this movie is he's doing this thing where he's really down on himself. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of a weird, weird thing from this one. Maybe maybe he still feels. Well, yeah, the whole reason was it the last movie where the whole reason why anybody died is because they kept fucking with him and everything would be fine if they just didn't. Or am I thinking of a different one? It's kind of both of them. Uh, I mean, the the previous one was the one with his brother. Oh, yeah, right, right. Which never really comes up here for some reason, which is surprising since he's going back to his hometown and we don't really see him doing anything with ashes or anything. There's uh, the only yeah. graves are his parents. Which is strange, because this does seem to still be continuing the arc, and it does come directly off the Kanbei thing. Yeah, maybe his brother didn't train under this guy. He trained somewhere else. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, so the, he he's like, oh, my blindness, it's revenge for having become a Yakuza and all the violence I've committed. I'm like, really? That doesn't seem like the, the Ichi of 1 and 2. Yeah. I'm trying was, to remember if there was like some innocent person that he wasn't able to save in one of them. I don't think so. Not yet, anyways. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure what this is about. But he, I, I really like him playing the theme song he wrote for himself. Oh yes. He you no. Know, he plays the Shamisen and he sings his theme song about you know uh, Zato, which means worthless. You know they they call me Zato. Uh, and it's just about how underpaid he is, basically. <laughs> Very much, you know, his common theme. Yeah, well, Z- Zanoichi is the type of person, I feel like he could never actually have money. 
Well, it's weird because he seems to have an amount, but I don't know. Enough to get like, by, to get him to the next town, I guess. Yeah. So, like, th- these four masked bandits show up to rob the little inn that they're staying in. And each is I, totally I, cooperative. I thought they were ninjas at first, but these guys aren't cool enough to be ninjas. But they oh, are the uh, the Tengu gang. The Tengu. Uh, Ichi is like, hey, I've heard of some Tengu from Mito running around lately. And they're like, you watch yourself, buddy. And and he like has no money, so they're threatening him. It's like, you must have more money than that. Come on. He's like, no, I'm poor. <laughs> I'm Did you not hear my song? <laughs> I... I, I didn't even have money to actually pay for the place tonight. I just kind of figured we might be able to maybe work something out. <laughs> like, you suck. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like harassing the shit out of him over it. And so as a result, Tamakichi sees this guy's really ridiculous palm <laughs> dice tattoo. It's so... Like, if you've got such a distinctive tattoo and you're going to rob people, wear gloves. It's so huge, too. Like, it's gigantic. It takes up, like, the end of his hand and part of his wrist. And it's just, yeah. like, a big 3D die. And he, like, thrusts it towards them, you know, to get stuff. And, like, you, you see Tamakichi seeing it and is like, hmm. I mean, it's really obvious right here in my face. I could just imagine him like later on saying to Zadoichi, "Hey Zadoichi, did you see that guy's tattoo?" No, Tamakichi, I did no, not I, see the tattoo. I certainly did not. Uh, Tamakichi is not bright. We we do find him to be very not bright. Yeah, and, and like <laughs> the bandits storm out, complaining about how poor all of these people. Are. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe stop robbing poor people. Find yeah, no kidding. You know, go go after people with money. So next day, Ichi goes to see Tashichi, which is the guy with the palm tattoo. They find out very quickly. And it's like, hey, do you do you know a local guy who has a really big tattoo of a dice on his hand? Like, yeah. So they we, we skipped that part. We just skipped him. Yeah, like, we just smashed <laughs> to him knowing where the guy lives. Yeah, he just shows up there like, we're looking for a guy named Tashichi. And you're like, what do you want Tashichi for? Like, well, he robbed this place last night, and they need to smack him around a bit, which he does. Yeah, he he holds him down when he comes out. He's like, hey, guys, is this the tattoo that you all saw? And, like, the whole crowd from the inn comes from around the corner. And they're like, well, yep. Mm-hmm. Well, first, like, he is like, listen, I didn't make a fuss last night because I didn't want anyone to get hurt in close quarters. Oh, right, yeah. And he, and he calls, like, hey, Tamakichi, and... Just like he pops his head around the wall, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Just him like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. A, oh yeah, they do like the Three Stooges thing first, right? It's it felt like a hee haw gag, you know, just boom, boom. Uh, yeah, yeah, is that Luigi? You know, he's he's still hiding because you know it's a bunch of scary bandits, uh, and. Yeah, he confirms that's the, that's him. That was is this the guy with the bomb tattoo? And like that's him. Uh, and Ichi just starts twisting his arm until he gives up the other three guys who were with him. Yeah. Uh, and Ichi's like, "You guys come here stealing from the poor. I, I'm calling upon the honor of this house to eject all of these people and also reimburse all of these travelers." Oh yeah, I love. He says to the guys, "Is like, hey, didn't you hear?" 
did you hear that? The Lord said he was going to pay two and a half times what was stolen. Well, so the, like the, the Lord shows up or whoever he, he yeah. throws them physically from the building, those three dudes and yeah. the guy doing so is like, Hey, aren't you Zatoichi? He's like, I see someone who understands has arrived. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause first he's like talking to all the minions. He's like, Okay, and they're not saying anything. It's like, okay, well, you guys obviously don't understand it. Yeah, you guys don't get it. <laughs> hey, someone who gets it. And, and like, he doesn't wait for the guy to say anything more. He just calls all the people. And it's like, okay, travelers, gather around. I, the boss will now pay you probably two to three times what you lost for your trouble. I, I'm just going to assume that's going to happen. And I'm going to say <laughs> that, I'm going to say it, put it out into the world, you know? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> the boss is like, well, shit, I can't just not now. Fine. <laughs> Ichi's working the secret, you know, he's just yeah. envisioning what he wants in the world and making it happen, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, I put it on my vision board that you travelers are going to get three times your money back from this guy. <laughs> he, he didn't do anything, but he's going to reimburse you. <laughs> So, yeah, th this is the point where he and Tamakichi and family part. It's like, OK, fun little adventure. We're going to part. We're both going to all go on and be better people. You know, we, th this has been a good experience for all of us. The end. <laughs> so then we see Shem Shimakichi arriving at the place uh, after they've left, like wh where the, the bandits had been tossed out. Right. Right. Yeah. And immediately they're like, oh, yeah, this guy's out of Ichi was just here and made a bunch of trouble. It's been kind of a ruckus this morning. They're like, Ichi was here. <laughs> I have to go. They take off. So Shimakichi is sort of the guy who's following him through the whole movie, who ends up being kind of not so bad. He kind of. Yeah, he kind of isn't. A, I don't know if I want to say he isn't a villain. It's. Well, we'll get to it because I, I got some yeah. thoughts about what this guy does and what happens to him. Yeah, they, like things are not too fair for this guy. Uh, but, you know, going out for revenge is always a bad trip. And that's sort of a, like a key theme of all of these Ichi movies. Mm -hmm. So they, they find him at the bathhouse. Uh, th this is the first time he's run into by Kanbei's followers, right? I guess the second yeah. time now. Yeah, the second time. The first time was just the cold open. Right. So th this first time, it's Kanbei's younger brother who runs into him. So Shimikichi isn't here yet, right? Right. It's the, yeah, the younger guy. Uh, and, and the two of them run into him later. And he's like, you killed my brother. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm here for. And he's like, look, I admit it. I killed him. And Shimikichi, or I, I, not Shimikichi, the, the younger brother, I don't know what his name is. I did not yeah, catch I, it. No, I don't think, uh, I don't know if it's ever even said. I kind of like this guy too, because he's like, look, I know, it was probably justified. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably justified, but you know, he's my brother, I can't just. He's my brother, Yakuza justice, that's just how it is. Although, he also says that he can't let a blind man killing a sighted one slide, which is pretty shitty. Yeah, that's real. Uh, that's real not good. That sucks. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a scuffle. Ichi obviously kills one of the underlings. And then he's pelted with something. Someone throws something. And it's his sensei. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, I, 
I thought he was like maybe hit with a fish or something. I don't, it might. It looked kind of like it. It seems to be maybe just origami or a piece of paper. Yeah, or or like a piece of cloth or something. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's Master Bano who is the person who taught Ichi. So you'd think he'd be very formidable and quite an idol. <laughs> well, it turns out. <laughs> this guy sucks. <laughs> yeah, see, I would have thought... So it turns out that uh, just because he taught Ichi the way of the sword doesn't necessarily mean he taught Ichi any of his morals. I think Ichi must have got those elsewhere. Well, and I think even a lot of his skills have developed considerably from the time he left here. Like, it, it seems like he left this place as a different world. Yeah, yeah. It just does not seem like someone of his quality could have emerged from this place. Well, it's hard to say. Um, it's weird. Cause like, yeah, it's, it's totally him coming back to his shitty small town and finding the shitty small town to be really shitty. It's <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, master Bano is like, stop it. Stop it. Quit this fight. Come on. Consider this as saving your life. Just put the sword away. Come on. <laughs> you guys leave. I'm going to take Ichi to have a drink with me. You you guys just trust me on this. You, you, you're going to be killed if you uh, persist in this. And, and, and you know, as the master, uh, I'm his master, so I taught him everything he knows. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm permitted to step in and take responsibility. So, you know, if you didn't want to fight him, you really don't want to oh, fight yeah. me. Going to be a problem. And Ichi's like... All right, well, I'm I'm gonna leave. We're we're all good now, right? And like, <laughs> we'll be waiting for you when you're done. Like, ah, fine. And and he starts to cross a bridge, and one of the underlings comes at him again. And his back is turned, and he's instantly killed. Like, it's just like, <laughs> he comes at him, and he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so he he goes to the sensei's school, uh, where of course he runs into Yayoi, who is his childhood sweetheart, I guess, sort of secretly. Yeah, I at first I thought she was the sensei's daughter, but no, that's uh, the sensei's sister. little sister. She's like 19, I think. She's 18. She's like just turned 18. So he's really, really hot to marry her off. Right, to marry her off, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> to there's this uh, Moroka guy who I don't Moroka. think we ever see. No, she's not interested. She's like, I, I'm not interested in marrying for convenience. And, and sensei really doesn't like that. Oh, he's a bitch about it. He's like, you're being very selfish. <laughs> he throws a bunch of tea in her face. Yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're being very selfish, not wanting to marry for my convenience. It also comes up in this conversation that it has only been four years since Zedoichi left town. That is, is that impossible. I can't Holy believe shit. that. Yeah. Hmm. That, that well, we know it's been like one year time. between movie one and movie two, but right. I don't know how long between that one and this one. But then that would mean that he's only been traveling as a traveling blind masseur for three years. Maybe not. When, the first when did starts. he go blind? I don't know. Yeah, I don't buy it. I mean, he also is supposedly much younger than he's, he's supposed to be in his early 30s, which also does not seem believable. But yeah. I don't know. You know, he, he meets up with Yayoi and uh, <laughs> fucking Sensei is really just horrible to her. Oh, yeah. Like, basically, like, hey, is that a Ouija? Hey, this is my house. I'll hold on a sec. I've got to go uh, abu verbally and physically abuse my sister for a bit. Yeah, I'm going to just... at home. Um, yeah. 
just just stay here. I, I know you loved her at one time. I mean, or maybe that's all totally secret. Or maybe it's just that she had a crush on him it's all hard along. To, I think. I feel I like it might have been that that she was into him. I don't think he really considered. Her, yeah, she would have been fourteen when he left. Right, and he also like. I don't know. Yeah, there's it's just that uh, I mean, it's it's such a common trope that he would be, you know, that they, there's this secret romance. But it, it does seem to just be her being interested in him. And he's just kind of has no idea what to say to her now because he's yeah. like lived this whole crazy life in the past four years. Yeah, yeah. He's killed like so many people. Yeah, I mean, just in the past, like, week, because the, <laughs> the Kanbei thing must have been really recently. Oh, I love when later on he's, like, talking to the samurai guy's like, I've killed seven people with this <laughs> yeah, sword. Oh, today? Well, you know, uh, all together. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm very impressed, sir. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, that it's been four years, I, I find that unbelievable. Later on, there's this messenger who comes on behalf of a guy called Okamura. And Bano immediately grabs his sword and leaves. It's not suspicious at all. <laughs> yeah, so so what I've found is that most of the main plot happens off, like from this point on, most of it happens off screen while Zadoichi's just kind of living in this house and doing, and connecting with all the different people in town. Well, it doesn't necessarily happen off screen. Most of it is on screen. It's just we see people seeing it and then it's kind of slowly passed along. Like I said, I had to watch this a couple of times because most of what's going on happens kind of in the background. And it's really important that you see people seeing things. Right. Yeah. There, there's so many points where you see someone observe something and then like they allude to it later. And you just kind of need to be aware of all the different things that people are seeing happen to understand the emotional resonances of everything going on. <laughs> I had trouble with it. I'm not going to yeah, lie. It's, it's it's a little comp- complicated. So like it it obviously turns out that Bano is working with the Tengu group. Of course. And he seems to think it's this huge secret. <laughs> <laughs> he, he seems to think all his affairs are very secret and they are very not secret and he just like can't get it through his mind. Yeah, all his minions are like, "Hey, it's me, Tengu number 1." Yeah, and, like, he shows up and is like, we'll have our usual room. <laughs> Guy, come on, are, are you, do you not get this? And someone spots them right there. It's like, your usual room. And he sees him with Okamura and, like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah. You see someone seeing that and, like, I get what's going on here. And we see them talking, you know, their their plan, and this is the plan that they do ultimately go with. There's this guy, Simpachi Kanda who's an eminent squire in these parts. Oh. Uh, most importantly, his son is someone who trains at his school, and he's pretty rich. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's the, the whole uh, the shit-where-you-eat uh, criminal mastermind plan. Yeah, really stupid. Uh, just stupid on multiple levels as it works out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I need 300 Ryo really bad. We, we, we need that amount exactly uh, because they need to plan this escape because eight of their dudes got captured. Oh, I missed that detail. Yeah. So that that's what they need the money for. A bunch of their guys just got captured. They, they're they trying to figure that out and they they need this money to get, to get it in motion. Okay. 
so Thanos like you my name can't be associated with you it's for my sister's reputation you understand <laughs> right your sister's reputation like yeah, you yeah, right. shit about that yeah and and so we cut to what what's going on with the sister we have Ichi and Yayoi having a really awkward chat in the moonlight this is the one where he's playing the flute Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, wow, look at the moon. It's beautiful. Oh, I'm sorry. That was insensitive. (laughs) He's like, no, no, I I don't mind hearing about things being beautiful. I remember how beautiful the moon could be and how beautiful this town could be under the moon. I saw a lot of it. But don't don't talk to me about color, though. They switched to color after I got blind. So I literally (laughs) don't know what it is. Yeah, th- th- that's tough. I, I, well, he doesn't even know about it that this one's. In oh trouble. yeah, he won't. Yeah, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> if he were to break the f- the fourth wall like uh, Deadpool, uh, Zatoichi still wouldn't know that it's a color movie. He would not. <laughs> so uh, we 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 cut back to the inn and we see the two brothers, both young and old, uh, Kanbei's brothers. Right. So yeah. Uh, Samakichi or whatever and Shimakichi and the other guy and they come into the inn and they see Bano seeing off Okamura and he sees them too and it's like well everybody's aware of each other here (laughs) yeah but they don't know who each other is at this point do they not entirely but they do like it's clear that they're seeing the associations between these guys. It's like, okay, these two people are associated and he's going to be running into these people later too. Right. They they all kind of coalesce. And one of them already saw him because like the younger brother was there at the spring, at the hot spring. Right. Yes. So he knows that this is Ichi's sensei who they're hunting after. Right. you know, it's it's this whole thing. Like they're they're it's it's people oh, and then the sensei, aware of course, of is going to recognize the younger brother too. Yeah, theoretically. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he he yeah. knows who he is, and he knows that he's after Ichi and all of that. And they mention like, yeah, we're we're after Ichi for revenge. And then yeah. <laughs> just like, okay, yeah. I mean, obviously that's that's what everybody's here for. Great. And Ichi's out walking, you know, after he's, you know, he walked away playing the flute in the moonlight. And this kid grabs him. It's like there's this there's this samurai who's been asking for a massage forever. We can never get a hand uh, get a hold of Masur. Please. Come on. It's a massage emergency. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, if it's an emergency. <laughs> and we see that the innkeeper refuses to bring sake to those men. So. He's seen Bano going up with them. He knows who they are. He knows what their deal is. He also knows, and this hasn't come out yet, that uh, Bano is sleeping with his wife. That also hasn't like really come up yet, but that's oh, a little I that bit of drama that's in the that, background. Oh, yeah, that's that's a big deal there, too. Okay. Uh, that, that comes up again in the background in, in the subtext of several scenes. Hey, okay. <laughs> good to know. Yeah, it, this one rewards you with the second viewing so he he's like i'm i'm not bringing sake to those those guys uh he knows that they're the tengu gang and he's not dealing with it and he knows that bano isn't and he knows like obviously all of his shit is so public but you know his sister's reputation you understand oh of course (laughs) so this is the samurai where he's like 
you know, I've killed seven men and wounded 11 and I've never been wounded in battle. And she's like, that's, that's really I'm just impressive. imagining it should be like, <laughs> oh man, I've all, most I've ever done is six in one day. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm pretty sure he's killed more than that in one day. Although that that's probably true. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm extremely impressed. And he's also praising Ichi, who's very skillful as a masseur. Until Ichi just intentionally pinches his nerve. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not sure why. Uh, first, I, well, <laughs> maybe because this guy's a dick. Well, yeah, I mean, it's because this guy's a dick and a criminal, but it, it's just like, uh, I, I don't understand why he's self-sabotaging right here. Especially yeah, because... it does seem a little... It does seem to come out of nowhere because he was doing a good job before. It's him kind of being a shit disturber, and maybe it's sort of setting up the ending where it's like, honestly, maybe I am just kind of that kind of guy. Well, he he has disturbed some shit before. Oh, it's a, like, it's his favorite thing to do. Like I, I just remember like him in that gambling house in the first one where it's yeah. like, man, this place stinks. Your boss <laughs> sucks. I'm not waiting for your boss. He's stupid. Yeah, this is just a bunch of bullshit and. It kind of feels like that, but it's weird because it's a real long con. Like, he's setting up a reason to kill these guys, like, later on in the movie. Oh, yeah, well, I definitely didn't catch that that's what was happening. Well, because, like, he pinches this nerve and they're like, hey, what the fuck? And then their leader shows up, Okamura returns, and they're like, oh, right. You need to get out of here. Conspiring with, yeah, okay. With Vanna. Yeah, and, yeah. and they, they throw him out and they refuse to pay. It's like, you're not going to pay. It's like, you just, what, what did you just do? I'm not paying for that. Screw you. You grabbed my dick. <laughs> well, I, he like kind of set off one of his leg muscles, I think. Yeah, yeah. But it, it did It did look, look like, like that. Like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> it looks like he, he reached under somewhere. But yeah, before he goes, he also just picks up a drink and just pours it all over the floor. <laughs> yeah. Just to be a dick. Yeah, that was, well... The guy was being a dick, and he was, and he got pulled in late at night for this emergency thing. Right, we, which was totally bullshit, and the guy just kind of sucks. Yeah. So then Ichi goes to see his grandma. Aw. Uh, she's deaf. She's deaf. She just does not understand a thing he's trying to say. Uh, she wants him to go visit his parents' graves, but he's not all that interested in doing that, and I don't think he does. I don't think he, no, I don't think he does. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that just does not happen. No, no. Or if it does, we don't see it or hear about it. Yeah. So probably not. Probably not. Uh, we get a scene of him walking around in the forest with Yayoi. You know, sort of like, again, them kind of awkwardly maybe hinting at some romance. Yeah. And then Yayoi happens to see Bano whispering with someone. But we don't, like, he's far enough away that she can't hear what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But... She's like, that's suspicious. That's not someone who he should be whispering with. I think it might be Okamura again. It's again, she's seeing that he's associating with some sketchy people in and around town leading up to stuff that's happening. Uh Uh, This woman shows up, the the innkeeper's wife, saying her husband is going to kill her. This is the woman he is secretly sleeping with on the sly. Oh, yeah. And he's all like, well, hey, you know, maybe you should just try to work it out. Yeah. And he says he won't do that. He's a coward. And it's like, dude, that's exactly the kind of person who 
has a crazy jealous fit and murders their wife. That that's the you you want to watch out for yeah, the cowards. Yeah, you don't need to be brave to do that. In fact, you very <laughs> specifically have to not be brave to do that. It's typically uh, the act of a coward. Yeah. But yeah, he he throws her out. Again, like he, he the, she's making a scene and there's this secret affair. He doesn't want that coming out. His sister's reputation, you understand, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's he's really trying to carefully protect that around town. Mhm. I, it's here like wow this dude's a real fallen idol he is involved in just every bad thing happening around this whole town how did he <laughs> how did he we inspire Ichi? yeah actually i thought you were gonna say how did he fall so far we never really find out but yeah how did he inspire Ichi? it just doesn't seem like he's fallen far it just seems like there was never much to him to begin with it's that Ichi has so far excelled him that he is just sad yeah. to come back to yeah. Uh, so he he asks Ichi to demonstrate his sword draw skills as, as like a public exhibition where he's going to have a couple specific students. One of them's King Okanda. No reason. Uh-huh. Uh So the the demonstration is pretty cool. Yep. Uh, I still like the the one in the first movie better. Yeah. Where, that one is done but, better. Yeah, but this one's still good. Yeah, so you get the candles and he does with and, and it's impressively done in real time. You see him pull the sword really fast and do a 360 swipe and get all four candles and put it away. It's impressive. Mm-hmm. And they all. They, yeah, I like how they all just fall one by one, taking turns. And it looks just when you think he missed the last one. Of course, he didn't miss the last it, one. Yeah, it just starts sliding like, oh, shit. And then. You know, everybody's packing. I was like very impressed. And Ichi looks very insulted when Bano pays him. Oh, yes. So there, there's a couple of things to this, because I think normally Ichi is all about being paid. Oh, he <laughs> definitely is. This is not something he would object to even for a friend. I don't think it's a matter of his pride being hurt. I think it's he is aware that he's being used to set up this kidnapping. Like, I think he gets that there's something shitty going on with Kanda and that he he feels dirty. Right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it, too, because uh, it's like, isn't it just right after here where the kidnapping happens and the guy comes immediately like, hey, uh, us Tengu kidnapped the dude. I mean, well, like, someone did. Well, no, he they, they, they're not. I, I think that guy's not a part of it, but it, it's. Yeah, they, they, you know, they leave and they're immediately attacked, leaving the lesson. They kidnap Kanda and the, the guy who was with him, like the, the other student runs back to tell right. Bano and Bano goes running to quote unquote help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we see Ichi and Yayoi left alone and they're like, uh, we know what this, this is something. <laughs> this is not, this is not on the level and we're very aware of it. Oh yeah. Isn't it, isn't it here where Yayoi's like, Hey, why don't you just fucking say hell with all this sword fighting shit and marry me instead? Yeah. Is it, yeah. It's, it's basically right around here. Yeah. It's yeah. it's in this section. Uh, she's like, I, couldn't you marry me? And he's into it, but not into it. Like, he's touched. Yeah. But he takes a bit of convincing. He's like, well, you know, I've done so many things. I'm a bad yeah, it's uh, like not good for you. 
I'm not good for you. I've slept with a lot of women. I've killed a lot of men. I, I've been really living a life since I left this town, and I think it's kind of I, I'm too big a fish for it these days. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, no, no. And I, I would say that this is almost definitely the actual love theme from Godzilla reused. It sounds like the same theme from when uh, uh, the oh, wow, I cannot remember his name. You know, the the doctor, the one eyed yeah. doctor with the eye patch. And, uh, yeah. It it feels like there there are scenes. It seems to be the same love theme, and it might be because it is Akira Fukube again. I I would have no idea honestly. <laughs> I recognize it because I really love the Godzilla score. Mm. So uh, parallel to that, we see uh, the two brothers who were peeking in the window during the demo, and they saw that shit. And like the younger guys, <laughs> like. I'm ready to go. This, like, come on, we're just gonna get killed here. This is stupid. I, it's been demonstrated to me twice in the past two days. I'm not dumb. And the other guy's like, "Hey, I gotta try, you know." And he's like, "I gotta do it." You're, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. You should go. I'm, I just please go home. But I, I have to do it. <laughs> and and I kind of get these guys. Like th- this is sort of an interesting one where. You see all of these people who are failures, and you see also these people from outside who just like they're sort of trying their best, but they're in a bad system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, ultimately Ichi agrees to give up the Ronin lifestyle and marry Yayoi. Although I don't know how much he's agreeing with it as much as he's agreeing to let her ask. <laughs> 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 yeah, I guess it's like, yeah, I'll ask my brother. Uh, he'll be cool with it. Yeah, just like, yeah, you can do that. That'll, that'll work out later. We'll, we'll do that. I do kind of feel like at this point he, he, he yeah. kind of convinced me that he's done with the whole. Right. No, definitely. Yeah, because like this is where Shemakichi shows up to have the duel and test the resolve of his I'm quitting the Ronin lifestyle. And he does stay very firm to it. Like, And this is a very emotional performance, probably the most emotional of the first three. Mm-hmm. So, uh, please, so does the duel happen before the brother comes back as well? Like, uh-uh? Yeah. Does that happen after? Okay, yeah, so the duel. Yeah. So Ichi goes out and he just throws the sword at the guy's feet. It's like, listen, uh, please just spare my life. You can beat me. <laughs> I don't mind. Beat me, kick me, whatever. I know you got to get your revenge, but man, I'm, I'm trying to go straight. Just just let me marry her. Look at her, man. Yeah, please. I, I'm, I'm trying here. Uh, I you Beat me up all you want. I understand that you require vengeance. Uh, I but I I've changed and Yayoi comes out and he's like please understand he has changed if you're not going to spare him I demand that you kill me too and the guy's like wow I really don't want to kill you whoever you are <laughs> yeah I don't know you lady I'm already not in the best place about this whole thing he's like ah oh, god damn it we'll throw dice okay you're a gambler <laughs> dice dice is a good idea right I'm just imagining Ichi like, hell yeah, yeah, dice. (laughs) This is, to me, the most completely unbelievable part of the movie, that he actually gets the dice thing wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, that's the part that... That is unbelievable to me. What? (laughs) How did he get that wrong? Did you lose on purpose? Why would you lose on purpose? Because it's very high stakes. He's like, 
okay, we're going to throw dice. Odds and evens. If I win, I'm cutting off your sword arm. And Ichi's like, okay, yeah, I'm fine with that. I won't need it anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they throw the dice. Ichi even rolls it himself, and uh, he gets he, he loses. He calls even, and he loses. But, like, there's this really long pause, and the guy just like, ah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, he just kicks, he, like, nudges the dice to tip it he, over. Yeah, he, he flips it over from a three to a four, and's like, I lose. I'll just take these and go. Yeah, you guys won't see me again. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, don't worry. And, I'm gone. And I wonder about this part, because it's like, he already wasn't super stoked on killing Ichi. He's looking and for already, an out. Yeah, already kind of figured, yeah, my brother was kind of a shit and yeah. probably deserved it. And then to find out that uh, Ichi's basically willing to like throw his life away just to have this be over and like it's trying really hard to go straight well and he's quitting the life and and that's sort of a thing yeah Yeah, that that's that's sort of a whole big deal in and of itself and you know Mm -hmm. he recognizes that he he himself is a yakuza they're all talking about this is the requirement of being yakuza this is yakuza law they're like man maybe this system sucks and we don't want to be a part of it yeah um when I first at first I thought he just kind of looked at Ichi and was like, well, this guy's not worth killing. But now I'm kind of like, no, I don't think it's it. It's more like uh, it's, this. It's complex. Thing is, yeah. I'm pretty over it, actually. Yeah. And that's what I think is is great about this one is just the emotional complexity of it. There's a lot going on just between all the interpersonal relations with the characters, even if there's not a whole lot going on story wise. It just kind of happened in the background. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and yeah, that was one thing I actually found a little bit jarring about this is that there isn't much going on story-wise. Yeah, it's it's a hanging out one, big time. Yeah. So Bano gets back, and Yayoi is like, so I'm thinking... I did a thing. I was like, you, you're, you've been talking to me about marriage, and here's the thing. I've, I've got a really great idea. Maybe instead of this Morooko guy, I'm not into that. Maybe I can marry Ichi. And he's like, shut up! Are you crazy? <laughs> he loses his shit. Like, shut up, are you crazy, is his immediate response, which is hilarious to me. It's like, <laughs> he's just completely incredulous. I'm like, what? Ichi? Him? He has no money and no reputation. What about my sister's reputation, which is yours, I guess? My, her reputation, though. Your reputation, though. Uh, and he, he like, goes off on Ichi, starts calling him an arrogant cripple and how, you know, he's, you know, being a jerk all the time. And, you know, he's killing people and he's a bad guy. It's weird. <laughs> but they're interrupted because the ransom note shows up. Oh, yes, right. And they're very unsubtle about it. The exact same amount that Okamura has been asking around for of 300 Ryo is exactly the amount that they want. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. But the father's oh. there. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So this is the one where it's like, maybe the ransom note was done by the Tengu. Yeah. What, do you, what <laughs> yeah. do you mean, Tengu? Just, just don't talk about Tengu. Uh, I think that's actually the next one, because I do have okay. it in my notes when one of the guys does that. Uh, but yeah, the, the father's there, 
or no, no, that is here. That's you're you're right. It is here because one of the other pupils like, well, could this be the work of the Tengus? And I was like, hey, shut up. Don't, don't talk about tangos. What are you talking about? This is just, you don't know what you're talking no, about. This is, this is don't talk whole, about. Don't talk about. No, 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 no. Don't it's, talk it's about stuff you tango. don't know about. But, but yeah, the the father is there, and he's like, I, I'm fine with it. I I'll totally pay the money. I no problem. We we have the 300 raya. We'll we'll have it ready for 6 a.m. tomorrow. I'm just imagining uh, Sensei being like, hey, well, you know, you can speed up the whole process and give it to me. I mean. If I were the leader. Well, like he could give it to ferry it to him. It it just like that would be the smarter thing for him to do here. It's like, yeah, you give it to me and I will go take it to them because we don't want to put you in danger. If he were if he had an ounce of intelligence, that would have been the plot. But he goes for a much stupider plot. (laughs) I I have no idea how he figured this was going to work out for him the way he ends up going about it. But like, yeah, they're, they're, they've announced everything. They've made their plans for the next morning and they leave. And Bano immediately, he turns around and like, and as I was saying to you, Ichi, <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get out of my house. I don't want you piece of shit. He kicks him out because like he, he wants him to have a duel with him first, but he refuses because he's given that up, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he kicks him out. And I, I really like this bit when Ichi finally gets outside the gate. He draws, he does his fast draw, like, theatrically, like a really huge swipe. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's like firing his gun in the air and going, aw. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, like, uh, oh, what's that movie? Hot Fuzz? Bad Boys. Well, yeah, Hot Fuzz is referring <laughs> to Bad Boys too. Oh, so, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, yeah, and then he does, you know, his sad walking away, like Bruce Banner at the end of a Hulk episode. Yeah, Charlie Brown music. Yeah. Uh, so then inside we see Bano continuing to berate, berate Yayoi, of course. Yeah. And then later on, sorry, go ahead. This guy's got like two modes. Uh, get money and talk shit about sister well everyone's bad but me uh nobody realizes all of my secrets he is completely oblivious to how much everybody knows about what's going on with him yeah nobody knows what i bring to town (laughs) maybe because he's like constantly yelling at people about everything he does and these have paper walls because like we've seen people seeing him all over town being a fool and like incriminating himself so he just is completely oblivious to it (laughs) this guy ain't exactly the uh, criminal masterminds of some of the previous movies no he's maybe the dumbest villain we've encountered yet which is funny because he is Ichi's sensei right (laughs) yeah yeah, and some of the villains we've had have been dumb. They've been dumb. Most of them have been dumb. So he but leaves. He's the dumbest. He is the dumbest. So he leaves to retrieve Kingo, and he very ironically tells the sister not to do anything stupid while he is going away to do something <laughs> really stupid. Yeah, let me just involve myself in this personally. Yeah, I, I better go take care of this entirely myself. And in the dumbest way possible. <laughs> yep. And we cut to Ichi, who's back at his grandma's. And he, he wants some sake. She's like, there isn't any. I don't have sake. What are you doing? I'm, I'm an old lady who lived by myself. I don't have alcohol. 
go to the inn. <laughs> you think I got money? Yeah, come on. He's like, I'm never coming back here. Take care. <laughs> He's like, what? You're you're leaving forever? And it's like, yep. <laughs> you're not even gonna say goodbye to me. Like, Take care. Yeah. Uh, so poor granny. Yeah, poor granny. Zedoichi is just done with this place. And Yayoi arrives like right after he left, and she mentions that he went to Abaraya, the the inn that they're at, mm-hmm. which is where everything's going to come to a head because everybody's at Abaraya, and it's just going to be everyone's at this inn. Yeah, this is like the inn from like a kung fu movie. It's like the only one, so everyone is always here. Well, it probably is. It's like this little small town where everybody's yeah, in true. everybody's affairs. Because why would he be hanging out at the inn that he's sleeping with the, the innkeeper's wife doing a bunch of criminal shit and ordering wine if there were another place for him to go? I mean, he Good is very point. stupid. Yeah. Maybe it's because he's sleeping with the innkeeper's <laughs> wife. It's like, so, no, so much more convenient. I, I'm going to get <laughs> when this is over. I'm going to get me some action. Yeah, uh, that that also tracks. <laughs> just just why make two trips? But yeah, in terms of it just being the place where everybody is, we cut back there and Bano is having a chat with Shimakichi. And Shimakichi is plastered. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and Bano is just bitching about Ichi publicly. Uh, and, and he calls him a thieving cat. And Shimakichi throws it back at him because, like, that that's someone who's, uh, that's a cheater who's cucking someone. That That is the exact meaning of it. And... Even just in in this tiny little bit of like he is a traveler who is just blowing through town and he he sees what's happening here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Bano is very smart about it. He gets so publicly offended and starts a duel. Like, oh yeah, dude, good Luki stuff. She's sister's rep though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I, how dare you make a very like veiled allusion towards this? Uh, nobody knows about that. I'm going to fight you. <laughs> how, how dare you imply that I'm like also leading the Tengus and uh, I'm <laughs> sleeping with the innkeeper's wife yeah. and I'm trying to just pawn off my sister to some wealthy guy. How dare you imply all those things that aren't true? Yeah. Say like half of that. I mean, I said a couple of them, but come on. And and he's like, I'm extremely drunk, man. I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> uh, but Bano attacks him. And kills him. He slashes him in the face, chases him out of the building into an alley, and stabs him in the back. Yep. yep. Just to take out his rage. Yeah, what a piece of shit. Uh, one of my favorite shots in the movie is, uh, like, from the mouth, like, from deep in the alley, we see Ichi crossing and pausing in the mouth, like, illuminated, uh, silhouetted. Really cool <laughs> shot. Like, again, just more visually compelling than the other ones, just... Uh, the way this is set up and Bano comes out and is like, well, you know, I, I, I was doing it for you cause he's here to kill you. Oh yes. Like, right. Right. And, and he like makes to go inside and the innkeeper slams the door in his face. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, she was even saying before, like, Hey, don't give this guy any sake. Don't give him shit. Yeah. He gets nothing. This guy sucks. Uh, and, and Zadoichi, you know, very, to his credit, he, he goes to Shimakichi's body and he thanks and apologizes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I know what you did back there and I'm sorry that this happened. Yeah. 
so the next morning i really love the look of this as well because it's foggy in the forest and we have all of them the the procession of the tengu with all of the lanterns oh yeah i love the misty forest bit it's beautiful Mm -hmm. uh they're they're heading in with their hostage and and they sort of run into ichi at this graveyard or forest temple uh it does kind of look like the entrance to the place where uh the third where the along with ghost yeah. movie begins 100 like, it like a it's, lot like that it's a forest temple quite a bit like that yeah uh so not a good place to spill blood in uh, maybe ichi's gonna get real cursed here because he's gonna be spilling a whole bunch of blood real quick yeah it's like ha we curse you with blindness ah fuck <laughs> spill some more blood so we can curse you with something better please <laughs> maybe it was a retroactive one and this is how it happened Oh, could be. So, yeah, he runs into them and is like, "Uh, you guys are running out of town without paying me? (laughs) Oh, yeah, right, because these guys who did the kidnapping are the samurai who who, uh, he gave the massage to. Yeah, one of those dudes. And one of them is like, here is your payment, and he's instantly killed. (laughs) Yeah. He like raises his sword and says the line and like, Ugh. <laughs> they're like, who are you? He's like, I'm a sewer. And then he pauses like, mm, maybe I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You're an ordinary masseur. It's like, yeah, maybe yeah. not. I mean, I am technically a masseur though. This to me feels like him making the decision is like, ah. Uh, I'm not staying in this town. <laughs> this is not happening. I'm not marrying her. I'm not leaving this life. I'm going to kill all these guys right now. Oh, it's the John Wick. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking I'm back moment. Yeah. It's like, maybe I'm not just a regular guy. That's probably not true. Look at all this shit that's happening and all these shitty people who need to be killed who aren't being killed. Someone's got to change that. Someone's got to Some- do it. I can't turn a blind eye. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Look, I, I'm, I completely know all of your plans. That, that's your hostage in the box. I, I'm aware of all of this. Come on." And another one comes and attacks him and immediately dies. It's like, guys, come on. <laughs> we, we cut back to Bono, who's meeting with Kingo's dad and like the other guys, and somehow it's like. Okay, you and me, we're going to just leave all these other guys behind and take the money. And again, yeah, what? stupid, stupid plan. It's like, <laughs> okay, you just take the money, Bano. You take the money to them, ferry it to them and bring the kid back. And then you've brought this off and you're, you're in the clear. He decides <laughs> to make a much stupider plan. He's going to leave with the dad and kill him and take the money. Why? Yeah, why? What a dumb plan. He has the money already. Just stupid. Uh, Ichi, uh, by that time, because Ichi has already freed the hostage. Mm-hmm. Like we, we cut back to Ichi freeing the hostage, killing another of the Tengu. And then we cut to Yayoi also wandering through the forest, and she watches Bano kill Kanda and take the money. Oh, I missed her seeing that. Yeah, she was there watching it when it happened. Oh, and shit. not only that, Kingo shows up. And sees it too. Because <laughs> he's been freed by Ichi. And he's like, oh, fuck. And he starts running in the other direction again. Like, man, everything is going bad. Man, I was kidnapped by my dojo master. That's fucked up. Yeah, this sucks. I should at and... least be kidnapped by a rival school. 
So he runs back the other way and Bano's chasing him. Uh, and, and we cut back to Ichi. He kills another guy and there's like six dudes left. Yeah. And Bano shows up and he's just on the edge of the clearing and he is there just in time to see three guys go down in one pass, three more go <laughs> down in the other. And that is so much for your Tango gang, loser. <laughs> That's it. Oh, uh, maybe I'll challenge Ichi. Maybe I could win. Yeah, he approaches and like, I demand a duel. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, okay, dude. Like, oh. And Ichi, I'm your he, master, so I must be at least as good as what you did. I've just never done it before, but I must be that good. That seems to be his belief. Because Ichi, Ichi is even willing. He's like, I, I ask forgiveness. Uh, I, I'm sorry for all of this. This has been a really bad trip home. Uh, this sucks. <laughs> And, you know, they 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 do their one pass. They they fight and Ichi obviously wins. He's he's already put his sword away before Bono realizes he's been cut. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he does the whole pause and then fall over thing. Yeah. In, in the background. And we also see Yayoi at the edge of the clearing seeing this, too. Yeah. And crying. Uh, everyone cries. Ichi kneels and cries. Uh, and she comes up and like it's it's referring to what they had said earlier. And it's like, I'm not going to be that kind of guy anymore. That's that's not who I am. And he like they they hold a distance and it's a really long shot of them kind of hesitating around each other. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Miss, it seems I am that kind of man. And he leaves. And, and it goes it goes back into black and white as he's walking away. Yeah, he he walks into the horizon. It goes into black and white as he passes off through into the grass. And she just falls to her knees and watches him go. Much like the girl in the first one basically had to do. Very much. And that's kind of how most women will see Zedouichi go in all of these movies. That's, you know, that's a trope. Oh, yeah. I I assumed like as soon as she (laughs) said, let's get married. And then he said, yes, I was like, oh, something's going to happen to fuck this up. There's still half an hour left. That doesn't seem likely. Uh, It's almost like, what is it going to be an on Her Majesty's Secret Service thing where he gets married and she's immediately killed and he has to go get revenge? Like, no, he just realizes it's not going to work out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He he had to murder her brother because he sucked. It's like, this is what I do. I kind of kill people who suck. Uh, maybe I just need to go do that and not worry so much about marrying my childhood sweetheart. That's probably not going to work out so great. Yeah, if I I don't think I can manage to do both. Well, can you imagine him living in this shitty little town where everybody's up in everybody's business all the time? Or her traveling with him wherever he ends up going all the time? Yeah, both very unlikely. Mm. Although there's not a lot of people left in this town right now. Well, he just killed the gang. He like there. We didn't see a lot of the people, but it's this this Tengu gang are travelers, I guess, or they're semi-local. They like they're not belonging to anyone. I don't know, but they're all dead. (laughs) Ichi uh, eliminated all of them. I guess there's still those eight guys in jail somewhere. Oh, I guess Um, maybe that's uh, Zadoichi four. Maybe. Well, the next one is Zadoichi the Fugitive. Oh, interesting. Uh, where uh, I, I guess obviously he's on the run from uh, having killed a bunch of people again. 
I figure Tommy Lee Jones makes his first appearance in the series. Oh shit. Yeah. He, he finds that a, a bounty has been put on his head by a local boss and they're trying to trap him. Uh, and th- this one, yeah, they, they kill some former lover of his. Uh, and the, I, I recall this one, the, it's, it's pretty slow going. And then the last act is just him killing like a hundred fucking dudes for revenge. <laughs> like he just Dang. slays his way through an entire uh, temple or something like that. Uh, he hasn't done anything like that yet. Yeah. This is the, the real scorched earth Zatoichi one uh, from the same director as this one, uh, the same year, I think like they, they oh, really okay. start pumping them out here. Oh, interesting. All right. That's called Zatoichi the Fugitive. Zatoichi the Fugitive. Uh, let's see. So, uh, New Tale of Zatoichi came out in March 1963, and let's see if I can find the date for Zatoichi the Fugitive real quick. Uh, August 1963. Holy shit! <laughs> they must have came out four they months later. They must have made later. them at the same time. <laughs> uh yeah oh, wow oh, man wow they, yeah they they just like were were plowing through this series uh i mean they they did make 26 of these and it's it's just in the 60s and 70s right mm, yeah uh so yeah that is the third entry in the series uh any any last thoughts what do you what do you think after having discussed it a bit oh um i remember now what it was in the second movie that this movie kind of reminded me of hmm. it's like hey i'm here to talk about the tangus it's a lot like <laughs> we can't let anyone find out about our lord's right. condition yeah i knew there was something in that movie that was similar and i couldn't think of it until uh, just now right like the dude with like the ornate sweatshirt with the gold frills that says lord's condition <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's it is like that with uh 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 Bano just really not getting how much his his dirty laundry is aired. Like so yeah. unaware of it, unbelievably <laughs> oblivious to it. Oh yeah. Um yeah, no, uh, talking about it, uh, I do think I should have watched it maybe a second time, but I I've come around on it. I kind of didn't like it immediately after watching it, but it's having had time to sit with it and talk about it a bit it's grown on me quite a bit i like it like, uh, i appreciate what they were doing yeah it's a di- it's a really different entry i do love the look of it uh it's a oh, weird absolutely. one absolutely um <laughs> the it is the best looking one no no question oh yeah yeah uh and it, it's weird because it's more of a melodrama you know it's there's not a lot of samurai action <laughs> it's just yeah it's not a samurai action movie there's there's very little of that. Uh, although I, I guess there's not a ton of that in the second one. Maybe I mean the second one is pretty lean though. Like the second one is just over an hour or something. Yeah, that's right. But I like this better than the second one. Yeah, no this this one was good. Um, I, I'm yeah I, I liked it. I still think the first one's better. Oh yeah, no I totally agree. The first one is definitely more interesting. Uh, but yeah I mean. It's it's sort of surprising how much this has delved into lore and backstory with the first three, because I totally forget that it's not just him traveling from town to town dealing with baddies. Yeah, because that's kind of the impression I got from watching the first one. Mm-hmm. And maybe it goes back or maybe it gets into that later on. 
Uh, I like mostly that, like, I'm pretty sure from this point forward, it is basically him going from town to town and burning towns down. Like, it's him as the man with no <laughs> name, except he's Zadoichi, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, cool. Well, uh, any final thoughts before we head on to part two? Uh, no, I think I'm good. All right. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Wes Craven's new nightmare from 1994. So this is an interesting movie. I I really like this. This is actually only the second Freddy movie I've seen. That's like, I'm really interested to hear your take on this movie for it, especially being only your second Freddy movie. Well, it's a movie that despite owing so much to obviously previous entries in the franchise, works just fine on its own even if you're completely unfamiliar with it like they could have used they could have come up with a horror character whole cloth for this and use the same premise and it would have worked i think it works better because it's freddy but Mm -hmm. it would have worked yeah like it 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 sort of does need uh the the familiarity of freddy freddy being a really public and popular character and still (laughs) at the time pretty popular it's it's interesting that like in retrospect this was the last freddy movie there there wasn't another one so did this then come out before or after freddy versus jason freddy versus jason was still later that was like eight years later okay which is why like in freddy versus jason freddy shows up and he's like man i have no power everybody's forgotten me this stinks how am i gonna get power back how do i get people to uh, believe in me again so he's like using jason as a proxy for his killings because jason still has that juice right right so it, it's kind of almost in continuity with this as well where freddie has to like it's like man there haven't been any movies about me in a while did we actually <laughs> kill off this series could we maybe uh not <laughs> like, like in a sense of earthquakes your way hollywood yeah well the, this is really this is interesting because there's multiple ways it can be read you can absolutely read it as a woman is having a mental health crisis and that's all that's happening yeah oh there's one thing that i can't explain this way but i the babysitter the babysitter yeah that's the only thing uh but that could just be attributed to we skipped a her waking up scene maybe Maybe, I mean, maybe. I, I don't really ultimately buy that it's a mental health thing, especially since, like, the last third is in the flooded Mexican restaurant hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But it could be that way. But the more interesting take, although there, there's a lot to say about there. Yeah, I mean, it could be. It's, I mean, it's, it's ultimately, well, like, I think it's both. I, yeah, I, I think that's what's really interesting about it altogether is that it is Wes Craven dipping back into the series with the idea of doing something different like he he wants to examine the concept of horror Uh you know he's someone who's only done horror and and that's something that they mentioned in this movie is like oh it's wes craven's triumphant return to horror has he been away from horror no he (laughs) he had not done a non-horror movie yet (laughs) because like the people under the stairs was just a little bit before this wasn't it yes it was uh i think it may have been been like just after scream was like a little bit after he did do a non-horror movie after this like uh maybe 99 he did music of the heart which is like a drama about a music teacher (laughs) oh interesting i don't know about that one 
I've seen it. It's okay. It's fine. It's like, why are you making just this middle brow Oscar bait movie, Wes Craven? <laughs> like in the middle of his scream run. It was just he wanted to do something non horror. I don't know. It's it's like Sam Raimi's for love of the game. It's like, how is this? A <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I never saw it, but I just oh, it's boring. I heard about it. <laughs> I well, watched it's it. really another Kevin Costner baseball movie, isn't it? It completely is, uh, and it's I don't know. It's boring. It's really long. <laughs> but this movie, uh, yeah, it's just a, a really fascinating deconstruction of horror and it's like Wes Craven being it. I've been making horror since you know the the genre really took off in the late 70s as a thing and he's always done it from more of an artistic perspective than most I guess mm-hmm. yeah because this isn't by this is not a by the numbers horror by any means no uh, weirdly like I find it's really psychological it's got that whole maybe like the whole time you're thinking maybe she is just crazy mm-hmm. and and um, like i think this feels like wes craven doing his own version of fellini's eight and a half which is a movie about the making of itself yeah that that's also that's what this is too and it kind of reminds me a little bit of adaptation in that way too right which would certainly be uh influenced by that as well uh and and because like that that's also in keeping with previous craven projects because like he uh like last house on the left i think he said it was his remake of ingmar bergman's the virgin spring so like it's it's sort of his thing he he likes to go after these classic european art house pictures and remake them as blockbuster american horror so like him doing eight and a half in the 90s as a freddy movie is really fascinating to me (laughs) Well, it's, it's, he's also kind of doing Inception because it's a movie within a dream, within a movie, within, and you just, you're never sure what level of reality you're on. And the fact that he uses all of the actresses and actors like real names too, kind of, she's, it's the same actor, I'm assuming, as in uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but she's playing herself rather than this Nancy person. Yeah, she, it's Heather Langenkamp, who was Nancy in uh, the first and third and fourth movies. So you saw her in part three. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, right. I, but, I, but that was my first one, so I didn't get the context of her. <laughs> right. So it was her coming back in that yeah. one. And then you had John Saxon as well as her dad. Oh, and that <laughs> that's the thing that kind of jarred me a little bit was... Uh, when he went to comfort her in the graveyard scene, uh, that was the first time I saw him in the movie, and I didn't recognize that he was the actor who played the dad, so I thought it was just oh. another friend of hers, or maybe her actual dad, and maybe and well, then towards the end, he kind of becomes that. It's it's well, it's yeah, that, that's sort thing. of the, the idea is that it's the the blending of uh, reality and film reality. So he is John Saxon, who is an actor who's acted with her a bunch of times, and is just a a dude who's an older friend of hers because you know they work together. Mm-hmm. But then he played her dad, and later when the reality of the movie sort of blends in, he starts just being her dad again, which is really yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah. And like, we Nancy, have, what like, are you talking about? <laughs> and she's, like, good friends with the actor who plays Freddy Krueger, and, like, she calls him when she's in trouble, but he he acts a little bit 
off and a little bit creepy throughout this movie so that you're kind of wondering is well is maybe he behind some of this well to be fair everybody is acting completely crazy in this movie true like there there is no person in this who is not troubling in some sort of way yeah yeah even down to the kid the kid is a creep the kid is creepy. oh the kid is <laughs> yep yep miko hughes just like top creepy kid he was also the tendon cutting toddler in pet cemetery oh you ever see pet cemetery no i never did but uh... <laughs> uh spoilers he gets hit by a semi and then brought back from the dead and then he's like a little evil toddler monster undead. oh god <laughs> but yeah this is probably the best creepy kid performance i've seen since the shining he's really creepy miko hughes is very good at being a creepy kid yeah uh, so we start, well, start, uh, it's kind of our debatable when the movie actually starts because the first scene is fake where we see somebody who, who could it be building a robotic, uh, evil dead army of darkness claw in uh, what looks like Mordor or something. Well, like this is a riff on the original opening sequence as well. So th- this oh, is, is it? Uh, them do, sort of redoing the original opening sequence, which had Freddy building the claw. Right, but originally it was like a leather glove, right? Yeah, like it was him making it himself in like a little workshop. And this, of course, is, you know, a, a movie quality prop for yeah. a good reason. Yeah, so like this is a this is a really cool prop. We see him building it, and then he goes to take a hand, or a knife and cut off his hand and cut. Oh, it was a movie. This isn't really Freddy. It's just some dude. Well, like he does do the chop, but oh yeah, yeah right. it's, it's it's a we good effect. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we we cut to see. Yeah, and really good effects in this. I really like the robot Freddy hand. Oh, the robot Freddy hand is great. Uh, the final version is really good. I, I like the Freddy face. When it actually, when we actually finally see him, it's a grosser one than usual. Like it's slimy, it's nasty Darker, looking. Eviler, <laughs> yeah, it it does have. It's got some of an edgy nineties to it at times, for sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, maybe that's what the evil spirit wanted. He's like, hey. I want to be an edgy 90s anti-hero now. I mean, it would have fit for Freddy. Well, maybe not. Like, it's it's how much he says bitch, which specifically he says it only one time in this. Yep. Uh, yep. I counted. He says it once exactly. Once only. Where and like that wouldn't fly in the 90s because that's also when like Pierce Brosnan took over as Golden and as Bond in Goldeneye. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's PC Bond. interesting Uh, and and that that was sort of like you know the the era of political correctness kind of starting to uh be like hey maybe we shouldn't shout slurs all the time in every movie (laughs) i don't know Uh, it it just seems like uh 80 percent of uh uh, teen comedies in uh, the 80s had someone uh just like being extremely homophobic for some reason maybe we should stop doing that uh and there was all the backlash to it of course (laughs) as is happening currently yeah you know culture and waves yeah yeah so uh this scene is important because we meet uh the husband slash father chase uh who is a special effects dude now i don't know is he based on a real person or is, is he a real person 
I I don't think he is a real person. He is playing a real guy. Like um Oh, okay. Uh David Leroy Anderson is Heather Langenkamp's uh real life husband, but he is a, a special effects guy who did work with uh Wes Craven on a bunch of stuff, although he didn't do this one. Right, and he's presumably didn't get clawed to death by Freddy Krueger. True, that didn't actually happen to him. He's still alive. Uh, he has a couple Oscars. Oh, cool. Right on. Yeah. So, yeah, they are on the set of a new Freddy movie. He's made this cool robot hand that he's really proud of. And uh, Heather Langenkamp, who is our protagonist playing herself in this, mm. uh, is on set with their son, Dylan, who is creepy. creepy. <laughs> <laughs> this kid is great. Oh, man, when he is when he's on. Holy shit. Uh, Heather doesn't like when doesn't like when the kid sees scary stuff because yeah so like one of the big themes in this is uh as a horror icon how do you have kids and like not let them see your stuff yeah and like how do you protect them from it even if you don't like even if even if you're just a regular parent how do you protect your kids from seeing a Freddy movie this comes up a doctor says to her, it's like, you let your son watch those scary movies? Dude, Freddy's a pop icon. <laughs> Freddy is a pop it. icon. Well, and like also just there was sort of that moral outcry in the 90s. And I think that is also what like I'm saying with the PC stuff. I think oh, this yeah. is sort of in conversation with that. There is a lot of moral outcry about horror and it's weird because it's also the nineties where they kind of ease the restrictions and like, yeah, you can have fucking crazy amounts of gore and it's not really a big deal. We're not going to censor it out anymore, but yeah, that's a, I was, I wasn't thinking of like that time period in the context that makes, that makes a few characters behaviors make a little more sense. Yeah. And I, I it just like horror sort of weirdly fell out of fashion in terms of, I don't know. It, horror got weird in the nineties. I, I hate, most 90s mainstream horror it got really stupid <laughs> it got very obnoxious it became the decade you know like everyone yeah. is wearing two bright clothes and it's like you were watching a slasher in the real world it was it sucked like the real world the mtv show <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's hard for because i didn't get into horror until after the 90s even though i should have because i was the right age for it i guess <laughs> I it's guess right when i was getting into i don't know it. if yeah, I don't know if my parents didn't want me watching it or I just wasn't into it. it like it, it, for me specifically, I moved to a new neighborhood and like circa 96 or 97, I guess. And there is a great video store called Xanavision that no longer exists. And I, I used to, you know, it was like five movies for five dollars. So, OK, <laughs> you know, go, I, I would go and rent like five old movies and you know the first things i picked up and was like let's watch the entire friday the 13th series and i you know did all of those and then i did all of nightmare on elm street and you know that those are sort of like my immediate introduction into the big horror franchises of the era mm -hmm. so i like th this one was the newest one when i saw all of them like i i think this was like the newest movie that had come out for oh, okay. Of them. Maybe there was a later Friday, like that last really shitty Friday one may have been after this. Jason, or yeah, Jason Goes to Hell may have been, but 
you know, the, that one stunk. And this one is like, wow, this was good and interesting. And it, it was sort of like my end of going through these two big horror franchises. Like, well, let's watch maybe some David Lynch and shit next time. <laughs> Got into all of those. Yeah. Uh, so as they're as they're talking about like hey yeah we don't i don't want the kid watching horror and stuff and then why did you bring him to the set well you know dream logic i guess <laughs> well like, how do you keep this creepy kid from coming to the set uh, how he, if you leave him alone he's gonna be watching the movie anyways yeah that's true he uh, finds it yeah or it finds him maybe maybe it seems to me like he finds it this i think creepy. he finds it uh, but they don't have much time to talk about it because oh, the claw comes to life and starts killing the other special effects guys. Oh no! Uh, but it's a dream. It's a dream that she wakes up. Uh, dream count is currently at. We are now one dream deep. Maybe. Maybe. Because like uh, this is definitely still a dream. <laughs> oh yeah, this is well. Because like, is, isn't this? Because isn't this dream she awoken from by an earthquake like a minute later in the movie? No, no, this this is her waking up. Like she wakes up from the movie set thing in the earthquake. Oh, okay, right. This is the yeah, earthquake. and uh, th- yeah, uh, shit's falling, and uh, Chase, the dad, has a bloody finger right where Freddy's claw clawed him in the dream. Oh my God, it's real. Except, or, you know, or maybe you know, they're maybe in an earthquake. Maybe he cut himself on some broken glass in an earthquake. But then how did she dream it? Well, the subconscious works in uh, strange ways. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he's like, he's not too, he's not too worried about it. Uh, I like when they, uh, when they're watching the news report on the TV, the Quake Watch infographic, it has like the seismograph, like the lines going up and down, but it's curved to look like claws. And I'm like, that's not what a Quake reading looks like. I think it's a fairly fair infographic. I just, you know, it's a good design. Like uh, there, you see Freddy's claw in it's all beautiful. sorts of things in this movie. Like it's, it's very heavily represented in just all of the set design uh, later. I, I think you see an EKG with the Freddy claw in it. Oh, I wasn't paying attention and I should have because the I hospital bet there was. Yeah, I, I bet so. there was. You're right. Probably. Um, and we've got our creepy kid making a creepy face in his oatmeal because, you know, can't just not be creepy. Of course, we also find out later that this kid might actually have a very legitimate uh, condition where he sleepwalks and suffers from severe sleep deprivation, which uh, the symptoms look an awful lot like schizophrenia. Or yeah, it kind of seems. Well, well, the, that's kind of always been the thing about Freddy, and the thing that they sort of did with the first two, and then kind of abandoned. But I mean, even in Dream Warriors, you know, it was at a mental institution. Uh, oh. Freddy was kind of always targeting troubled kids. Yeah. Although uh, I guess they were all troubled maybe because he molested them as children or they're that, that's sort of a, a whole weird thing within the Freddy universes. Which ones are the original Elm Street kids that the parents got banded together to kill him for molesting and murdering kids? Like, did they know? Did all of them know? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. But of course, this one, the all of the molestation stuff is stripped out of the character. Oh yeah, that's it's that's not part of it. And that's I think not that's part of this movie. I, I think that's also key to this being the '90s version of Freddy, where like they didn't make more of them 
after that point because it's just like do we really want to have these movies with this wide wisecracking child molester i don't know maybe we don't make those anymore and freddie's like earthquakes bring me back coach (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean this is kind of a reboot well kind of kind of but yeah like from her talking with chase we find out that she's had she has this crazy stalker who's been calling her on the phone and saying creepy shit, which, uh, you know, completely and totally believable thing that would happen, actually. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I mean, and and Freddy's thing is always the phone, too, in a lot of these movies. You get you get a lot of Freddy's tongue coming through phones. Oh, you get that here. And, ooh, oh, yeah. My, my most upsetting special effect involves the phone. Just, just, we'll, we'll get to it. Cause yeah. I've, yeah. So, yeah, Heather tells him about the dream and is like, no, that's a coincidence that you dream the same thing. I just cut my finger on some glass or wood or whatever. Who knows? It's earthquakes. To be fair, like she is an actress in a movie where this happened. And she's not only an actress in a movie where this happened, she's an actress in a movie where she's an actress in like multiple movies where this happened. Yes. Yeah, so like I could see it. I could see that some people might be thinking, hey, the shit's getting to you. Well, I wouldn't even say that it's this shit's getting to you. Like, I, at what point where you're seeing the coincidences pile up, where where you just like, maybe we just to be safe, look at it as maybe this shit is actually happening. Because like, I I think it's always a problem in so many movies where you spend way too much time denying the thing that's happening is happening. Well, yes, but at the same time, I kind of feel like she is playing herself as the actress it's like she she knows it's or should know it's not real because she's one of the people who makes it happen but then she ends up being one of the ones one of the only ones who does believe it's real towards the end yeah well and but but that's exactly the thing that she would believe it because she has kind of had to be in the mind of a character who is experiencing this a bunch of times and good point if she's actually out here living her real life and starting to experience that stuff, yeah, I'd get freaked out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially since the next earthquake makes these very large, uh, very conspicuous-looking, very much uh, not anything else claw marks on the wall. Yeah, well, like, a lot of mysterious claw marks in this movie. Uh, yeah. That, that could maybe be explained by earthquake or things. Yeah, uh, by this point, Chase has already left for the job in friggin' Palm Springs or where, wherever. It's far away that he's working on. Yeah, he hasn't told her yet that he's working on this movie. No, uh, he know he's. It's just a project. He does, he never mentions that it's ready. She finds out maybe in one of the worst ways, but she doesn't find out for a while. So. Yeah, it, I it seems weird that she wouldn't know. I guess it's. Because of, I, I guess he thinks that she is emotionally unwell at this point. Maybe that's why, but it just seems weird that he wouldn't tell her. Well, they actually mention it. The part of the the agent says is like, we asked him not to tell you. Uh, yeah. We made it part of the contract, which uh, don't fuck with Hollywood contracts. I still don't get it, though. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Of, yeah, it does seem a little contrived, maybe. Yeah, it, it, I, don't like, it, I don't buy it. Like, I don't really get it, and it doesn't make sense. I don't know, man. Ask Wes. He's the one who dreamed it all up. His, this whole thing is like his dream. It doesn't have to make sense. 
well, yeah, one interpretation. Is, the, well, that is the title. It is Wes Craven's new nightmare. He's having nightmares again, so he has to make this type of movie. Like, literally, when Nightmare on Elm Street came out, he based it on a nightmare he had. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. I thought that was just... And he was having nightmares. No, that is true. He he was having nightmares. He's like, I, I kind of want to work this out by making a character. And it's like, well, there's been this wave of slasher movies. I can put it into that and like do kind of a new twist on it. And like he, he did create a new version of movie with this kind of. And yeah, this okay. is him having. So now, yeah, he's having a new nightmare. So it's time for Freddy to come back. And yeah. Slash Hollywood. Yeah, so, I mean, anything that doesn't make sense can really be excused with dream logic. Yeah, yeah, to some extent. I to guess. an extent. Because <laughs> it, it depends on what level it is, because this is supposed to still be real world. This is just like... Yeah, this is supposed to be reality that we're in right now. Like, And, and Freddy can bleed into reality, but he can just make, make things happen violently, I guess. It's never really clear what Freddy's actual powers are in this, because I feel like Wes doesn't know. Well, there's never any real clarity to what Freddy's powers are. Freddy is amorphous. He's a dream monster, so he has no real limits. Uh, His limits are his imagination. He's, you know, working with whatever he wants to work with. (laughs) Like, that's what makes Freddy so dangerous. There is nothing stopping him. That's, yeah. Well, that that's certainly the case here, um, although he gets I, I think he gets a little bit too easily killed in this one, but we'll get to it. I do feel like maybe it sort of goes off the rails a little bit in the last act. I like I really like most of the movie, but the, the ending is sort of like, OK, we're 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 hip deep in water for a while. What's happening? They're like, OK, it's over. It's over. All right. <laughs> kind of. Uh, but this first act actually is probably my favorite part of the whole movie because it's just mm. it's her just going through what seems like an ordinary day in her life where she's just getting dragged around to this and that. Oh, you have two seconds to take this phone call and then go here onto the stage. Oh, now you got to meet Bob in the office. Oh, the Willow's already taking you there. You've got a meeting. Oh, your kid is freaking out. Oh, all this shit. You have no time to breathe. Oh, stalker phone call. And it actually kind of reminded me of uh, um, Birdman, actually, how it just follows her around and doesn't stop. Mm. I mean, it's not all one shot like Birdman is, but it's like similar kind of like speed and energy. And it's it's actually happening mostly through shaky cam. So, uh, well, let's kind of (laughs) let's kind of talk about it a little bit, because a lot of stuff happens to her in a very short amount of time here. Uh, as soon as she sees these quake marks on the wall, or the claw marks, whatever they are, uh, she gets downstairs, and the kid's watching the Freddy movie, the first one. Which, the first time I watched it, I somehow didn't realize that he was watching the Freddy movie. I thought it was some other, just some random show that was on. Well, because you haven't seen it. Yeah, because I haven't seen it. So, so yeah, she unplugs the TV, and, and the kid just screams... And actually, here I'm kind of getting Babadook vibes, too. Maybe the kid's just a little creepy and she's not handling it well. Well, I, but the, the, there in, in Babadook, it's about grief. And here yeah. the grief hasn't happened yet. Uh, and, and the kid is already fucking creepy. 
Like, oh, I, yeah, I no, cannot sure. falter. The, the kid is creepy. He, they cast <laughs> Miko Hughes for a reason. He's so good. Yeah, like, the, the whole scene of him just staring at the TV and, like, she can't get him to respond in any way. Like, he's catatonically watching it. And it is a scene with her because she was the star of that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe it's the scene with the uh, body bag, which is really fucked up. Oh, okay. Uh, with like where where Nancy is in school and it's the day after the first murders have occurred uh, and she sees the uh, a body bag like she falls asleep in class and she sees a body bag in the hall uh, which is with the dead friend and like she gets out of the body bag and she's like all slashed up and yeah it's, it's a, like a really amazing scene oh okay. uh, so you know, one of the big shock scenes of the movie. Uh, so it's the kid seeing that, which obviously is especially not a good scene for him to be seeing. It's like, oh, yeah, here's here's Freddie messing with my actual mom. Yeah. And so, like, he he seems to be totally catatonic and she shuts it off and he just starts. It's like, yeah, the the fl- the, the switch is flicked and he starts screaming yeah. at the top of his lungs. And then we have another quake and then the stalker phones are like immediately after. And here it's clear that the stalker is, well, maybe not so clear. It could still be a psychotic fan who's just being Freddy for the purpose of stalking. Maybe. Um, but yeah, it's like it just goes one, two. And then the phone, she hangs up and the phones again. It's like, Freddy's coming for you real quick before she hangs up. I thought that was fun. Just had to get it out there. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you gotta finish it. It's like yeah. Roger Rabbit, right? Yeah, Freddy is sure. a Roger Rabbit esque character. Uh, he also wouldn't be able to like resist a do 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 do. Do do. Yeah, I mean, Freddy couldn't not. <laughs> he couldn't not. You're right. <laughs> uh, but then the babysitter shows up, Julie. Who was she? The main girl in Nightmare Three. I feel uh, like she was. The I don't know. Because she, I uh, I should have had this ready beforehand. But uh, yeah, I think I think she was the main. Uh, like, no, the I don't. No, I don't think so. No, the, oh, okay. so I I have it up here. She's this is Tracy Middendorf. Uh, this was her first movie. Oh shit! So she's not based on anyone. Um, okay. Well, well, she's sort of like she she does sort of have she's kind of an amalgam of previous characters. Uh, the way spoilers, she very unfairly dies uh, yeah. is is a death copied from the first movie like that. Oh, OK, the, the girl who's in the body bag in the scene I'm talking about. That's how like it's the same death, like mm. she ends up on the ceiling and everything. Right, right. Yeah, that's the scene that I can't explain by having this be a mental health crisis. That's, yeah, it doesn't that, work. That doesn't, doesn't work because too many people saw it happen. Uh, uh, yeah, and, a very unfair death. <laughs> the the <laughs> most unfair in the whole movie. Like uh, most of the other ones, you you kind of like they have something to do with something. But yeah, they, this yeah babysitter that that is that is unfortunate for her. Just wrong yeah, place at the yeah. wrong time. Yeah. I, Although, you know, for slasher movies, the uh, the kill count in this is pretty low. Very low. Two, I think. It's just the uh, two, right? Two, Maybe well, three? One, two... Freddy's coming Freddy's for coming you! Freddy's coming for you! <laughs> um, it's, no, 
two special effects guys. We don't see it happen, but it's hinted. Oh yeah, that happens. That they were they they die off screen and were killed by claws. So, so we're I I think we're supposed to take from it that basically what we saw in the opening sequence happens to them. Yeah. 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 But we, we don't also, see it in the movie. They we just hear about it later. It's like oh yeah, there was these two special effects guys who died. Like oh, interesting, huh? Well, they do hint at it because Chase is like, like later on, it's like, baby, come home. Dylan's in trouble and sick and all that. He's like, I can't. The two other special effects guys didn't show up. Yeah. So, heck, maybe it did happen. Well, presumably it did happen. Like, that's that's the idea. Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. OK. So, yeah, like this poor woman in the first act cannot get a second to breathe. The babysitter shows up. So another phone call. But this time it's the limo company. And of course, she has to answer with, listen here, you son of a bitch, blah, blah, blah. Man, I'm the limo guy. Sir, this is Wendy's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like, your limo's arrived. And and she, you know, she looks at him like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, having a bad morning. There's an earthquake yeah. and there's this asshole calling me and my son and is, my kid uh, is Nico <laughs> Hughes. It's really creepy. I think he's going to cut the tendons in the back of my legs. And the kid's like, don't go to the interview, mommy. <laughs> He's so creepy. And it's like, well, I have to. Uh, my life doesn't belong to me. That's what happens when you're in Hollywood. That's kind of what happens when you are in a capitalist system and just have to do shit all the time. Yeah. Uh, you you kind of have to go out and work. It's just especially apparent here because she's it feels like she's finding out about everything 10 seconds before it happens. Well, I mean, she just doesn't maybe doesn't have the best publicist or agent or like she maybe well, needs a better assistant. Yeah, I, I bet it's all of those things. So she's in the she's in the limo and the limo driver's like, hey, you're in those Freddy movies. Yeah, murder, death. I love that shit. Hope it didn't fuck you up. And she's all like clearly uncomfortable. and He's just going off. So, you know, she's got to deal with that, too, because uh, this I kind of get. From at this point in the movie, I'm kind of getting the feeling that these movies did fuck her up. Well, I I, I don't know that they did, but I, the idea. I mean, is not that, not like the maybe not necessarily the real Heather, but Heather in this movie. Well, yeah, th- this is what I'm saying. It's Wes Craven examining horror and how it has an effect on things. Like this is Wes Craven reflecting on the series. Oh yeah, right. We are, right. I forgot. Right. We're not Wes Craven's new nightmare. We're seeing through is. It's him kind of examining, like, well, does this maybe take a toll on you as a person, as a public figure who is really associated with horror? And how do you raise kids in that atmosphere? And he has always been fairly interested in women's stories. That's really been a focus of a lot of his work. He he sort of pioneered the strong female character in horror. Like uh, Last House on the Left and uh, The Hills Have Eyes. It's a really fucked up movie, too. I haven't seen either of those. His movies are all like he he's a very interesting horror director, but like they get really weird in the 80s. Like he did Shocker, which is Ernest goes to jail, except as a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Ernest goes to jail. Then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just like without I, mean, I guess it still has a lot of the jokes because it's still so, like it's very Freddy flavored because it's after Nightmare. So. It's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's it's a horror-esque version of Ernest Goes to Jail, where, like, right. you know, he's going around zapping people, and he can, like, 
jump into phone lines and shit. Stupid <laughs> hell. Yeah. So the the super important thing that she had to do was a talk show uh, where she's talking to the dude and he's like, "So what do you think? Any more Freddy movies? Is Freddy going to come back?" And she's like, "No, Freddy is dead." Okay. I mean, that was the name of the movie. Freddy's Dead, yeah. the final nightmare. But it's like you know. Just reboot, spin-offs, sequels, prequels, uh, alternate realities. <laughs> Nobody I mean, dies in movies if the executives say they don't. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's really surprising that they haven't made more of these. And it's it, it is crazy that like this is kind of the last <laughs> Freddy movie. Like they just did that other team up movie. It's yeah. the only other one he's got. It is like with the way this ends, it is kind of appropriate that it can be the last one, but it also kind of by definition posits that it can't ever be the last one. It just seems there so has strange. to be another one. It just seems so strange to me that like uh, they, that they would be that, well, both this and Friday the 13th, that they kind of haven't managed to make them work again. Yeah, because. Like they did the reboot for this one and it stinks. It's the worst of them all. Uh, oh, there was a there was a reboot. Yeah, they they tried a remake with uh, Haley. Oh, uh, Sixth Sense Kid. No, no, uh, the uh, Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie oh. Earl Haley oh. as Freddy. Okay. Which should have been good, but yeah, no, it's fucking awful. It's terrible, unwatchably bad. Uh, they they try to make it maybe a mystery where possibly Freddy is innocent, and then obviously it turns out that he's not innocent because it's Freddy. <laughs> like, why would he be coming? For- ah, it's stupid. <laughs> One, two, Freddy's <laughs> coming for tacos. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's oh, I don't get it. Like, it's real bad. Um, I, I just misjudged in every way. I, I don't I have no idea what they were trying to do with that, but. I, I, I don't understand why they couldn't make more of them. I really don't understand why they don't make more Jason movies, especially like that. That Friday the 13th remake was OK. You could just keep doing more good. of those. You could, you could do that or or you could more. really go crazy with the Elseworld Jasons. I want a Jason Winter movie. That would be really cool. Jason fight. Yeah, uh, has to fight dinosaurs in 65 million B.C. Uh, maybe not that one. I don't know. I like I I just want Jason to be in like different uh, times of the year would be cool. We've only seen him at summer camp. Uh yeah, or, that's, that's maybe not point. even so much of that. Like they, he he went to New York but he barely went to New York. <laughs> Jason takes a boat to Manhattan. Yeah, Jason takes a boat. Uh like yeah, I mean we've seen Jason on a boat. <laughs> How about we see Jason on a plane? Hey. Oh, I've had it with this motherfucking Jason on this motherfucking plane. I mean, you you would have it. You'd be done with it real fast. <laughs> that would be a bummer. <laughs> I'd watch Jason versus Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I mean, who comes out of it? it like, it's tough with Jason because Jason is so unkillable. Yeah. Sam Jackson is a final girl? I don't know. Not at this age. <laughs> no, no, not now. Uh but yeah, on the talk show, she gets surprised with uh, Freddie, and like her her facial reactions uh, say it all here. Because she, at first she's like horrified because that Freddie comes out of the wall because she's been having these dreams. But it's just Robert Eglund, the sweet actor who plays Freddie, and she's like, she's got to put on her like show 
I'm in public face. Which, uh, so she's like, oh my god, it's Freddy! And, and but, but like, you can see her, this is really good acting, like, you can see her go from that horrified face to the, I've got to put on my public face. And, it, I don't know, I thought that was really neat. While he's doing, like, his whole, ah, I'm Freddy, I'm scary, but I'm doing a little dance, ah, ha, ha, bitch, bitch, bitch. He, do- he doesn't say it, but, you know. Yeah, well, like, he, he is... It does seem a little silly to me that she would react to that way because she does know Robert Englund and she obviously is friends with him and knows him pretty well. They have an existing friendship. They've made a whole bunch of movies and like we see them talk to each other as friends in other scenes. Yeah, I, I think it's because like for that, like that split second, she didn't recognize like she thought maybe well, this was the Freddy of her dreams. The Freddy of her dreams. Oh, wow, that, that didn't come out right. A new Freddy romance <laughs> from Wes Craven. Um, <laughs> like, oh my god, I'd watch that. That would be weird. Uh, like, because, you know, he's he's really the, the man of her dreams, like, for real. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, it does seem weird, because it, and, and it, it sort of lends credence to the, uh, emo- the, the mental instability angle, but just the idea that uh, Freddy... Like that she does, that she would think for a moment while she's on a talk show that this guy that she knows dressed up like she's seen him dressed up all sorts of times for tons of events and most of her most famous movies. It's like, oh my god, it's actually Freddy. <laughs> well, she yeah, but she gets mad at him though. It's like I can't I believe you didn't tell me you were gonna do this. It's like I didn't think I needed to. Yeah, it's basically what he says. It's another thing where, well, they asked me not to. We thought it would be a, a fun surprise, which I guess is also uh, the excuse later. But that's dumb. I don't get it. <laughs> Why yeah. does you do that? You don't do that because then people get upset and then they don't come back on your show. So this this isn't really the sort of thing that would actually happen, I feel. Dream logic. But it's not. This isn't dream. <laughs> no. Well, it's Wes Craven's dream. Is it? Well, it, it can I mean, it the, script, of, the script, yeah. but I don't know. That's the whole thing with the script that we'll have to come back to it later. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it does kind of add to the like the whole theme of this first act, which is she's not in she has no say over any aspect of her life right now is just kind of the theme that I kept coming back to in this first part of the movie. Mm-hmm. She's she can't set any boundaries, regardless of whether or not they're reasonable. She just can't set them. And yeah, she just has to follow the whims of the people for at least this first part. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's one of the less relatable elements that made this so much less successful than Scream, which this feels like completely a dry run for what he would later do with Scream, right? Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Just like this one, he kind of made the mistake of focusing it on how it feels being in Hollywood versus... Yeah, this is one, these are yeah. the tropes of the horror movie rather than this is how the tropes of the horror movie affect people who make the horror movies yeah, <laughs> makes it a I little guess. bit harder to relate to. It, it makes it less uh, of a big popcorn smash because like Scream reinvented his career. Oh, totally, totally. That's that's undeniable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, after she's after she's done yelling or, you know, yelling slash talking because they are friends. Yeah, although he's obviously also way more successful, way more of a fan favorite than her. Oh, we, we see, God, like, everybody yeah. wants his everyone, autograph. Everyone loves him, and 
she's just waiting outside the autograph room for him to come out. But yeah, like they are friends. They have like a they have a friendly relationship. They talk about each other's lives and stuff. And you know, uh, she might be about to mention all the crazy stuff that's been happening to her. But oh, her assistant says she's got to go to the office to talk to the executive about the thing. And she's like, "What? Okay, what? Okay, sure." Some role, probably. Yeah. It's yeah. weird because she does not seem to be involved in any actual movie stuff in the whole movie. Um. No, the closest she ever gets is this meeting with the agent. Yeah. Which, why is she so busy if she doesn't actually have any movie happening? Well, she says she does a lot of TV. But she doesn't seem to have any TV roles going on. Like, she does that one TV appearance. Yeah, yeah, she does. What's it in promotion of? It's in promotion of Wes Craven's new Freddy movie that nobody has told her about yet. Well, yeah, Which, I guess it sort of is, but, like, why is she there? Like, I don't understand why she <laughs> thinks she's there. I don't know. Maybe either. she doesn't know. She's just been swept there. It's like, that's kind of how... Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's how yeah. I feel about it. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I, and, yeah, uh, it was in the script. But, yeah, she's meeting with the agent and is like, okay, well, you're going to be in the new Freddy movie. And she's like, uh, what? There can't be a new Freddy movie. Freddy is dead. Which is like, I saw the movie. He died. <laughs> and he basically says, well, yeah, but we want to bring him back. So what we're going to. More to the point, I don't understand why she doesn't say, my character died. <laughs> How are you bringing, like, it makes oh, sense that you're bringing died? back. For, yeah, her character died in the next. <laughs> in, in well, that four. makes no sense. Yeah, her character was killed off in the fourth one. Uh, pretty early on and not very well. It was kind of sucked. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so why? Yeah, like, I don't, I don't why know why she, she doesn't ask that question. I guess maybe this is one that's hmm. No, it doesn't make sense that it's like a Halloween. Maybe okay. So Halloween style timeline that ignores two, thir- two, four, and five, maybe. I do feel like it ignores – I think it ignores four because she says, I was only really involved in one and three. Yeah, and she is bre- – like, it's true that she's not in much of four. Yeah. But maybe it's it's one where, like, four is just out of existence, and maybe some of the later Freddies aren't as bad as they were or something. Well, yeah, because they say five – ultra successful sequels it's like were they all ultra successful wait were were there five there were hmm actually okay so nightmare on elm street nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors yeah uh nightmare on elm street 4 the dream master okay Uh, nightmare on elm street the dream child they dropped the five yeah so we're up to four sequels Nightmare on Elm Street 6 is, you know, I guess that is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. That's fine. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I thought, because I thought it'd be funny if they were doing a joke where, like, five, like, really successful sequels, but there were actually seven movies in one some of them <laughs> yeah. sucked. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I guess, I think all of them actually did pretty well. Like, these were all pretty financially successful, and they kind of had a decent budget every time as a result. It's okay. sort of necessary for the, the sort of effects you need to do with Freddy, right? Yeah, I, I don't see it working with a low budget. Yeah. 
which maybe as well as why it's one that they've been less likely to resurrect. True, could be. Although with CGI, I don't know. And uh, yeah, like she finds out that Wes Craven wants to do this, and <laughs> here she says, "Is like, didn't he stop doing horror?" And the agents right. Like, I thought he left horror. And, and like if someone else says his triumphant return to horror, and like I had to look it up. And like I'm pretty sure Russ Craven had never left horror at this point. Yeah, the agent's like, well, he hasn't had any nightmares. Did you did you know he only writes a movie when he has a nightmare? <laughs> I mean that that was the basis for the first one. Yeah, but <laughs> in this in this in the movie's continuity, that is just the only way he makes movies happen. I guess. It's just weird because it's written by Wes Craven, you know? <laughs> I find these things yeah. so strange. Like, oh, Wes Craven had left horror behind. And like, Wes Craven, you had not left horror behind. Come on. Come but on. maybe in his dream he had. I guess so. Maybe. Yeah, so she gets home finally. And uh, the kid is doing a shining impression. Uh, you know, just being creepy. And talking about how his little stuffed T-Rex doll uh, saved him from the man under the bed. So does, it, so does it have slashes on it already? Like, are they, like, the slashes are part of the design? No. no? Uh, the slashes, well, maybe. I think early on the slashes are part of the design, and then later, like, the, the doll actually shows up slashed with, like, fluff everywhere, right? Yeah, here's where the doll is slashed with fluff everywhere. Okay. And, then uh, later it has a slash design on it, and it, like, reappears. Well, it, it's Julia sewn it up using yeah. <laughs> conspicuous red thread that looks that makes it look like actual, like, yeah, it, it's slash. like they redesigned it as a slashed up doll. <laughs> yeah, it's like as object of power goes, you might have just made that a lot weaker by making it look wounded. But hey, dream logic, whatever. So what I really was hoping, actually, since the uh, T-Rex is guarding the kid uh, from Freddy, is that we would get a Freddy versus a T-Rex fight. That would have been awesome sweet. would that be? Of course, Freddy would have to win because that's the only way the story moves forward. But, man, seeing Freddy fight and kill a T-Rex? Come on! Missed opportunity! This isn't the the sort of... Like, I, I think that would look terrible with the effects that this movie has. Because this movie does oh, some, really right. good, some really good practical effects with, like, the, the glove... But man, some of that CGI stuff looks rough. Ooh. Oh, when he's in the sky on the free, yeah. doing the freeway chase. Oh man, that's your. <laughs> or when he melts at the end, that's bad. Yeah, like a lot of the stuff at the end when when you get to the climactic video game level in the underwater <laughs> and the stuff. It the Dark Souls boss chamber. Yeah, I, I, except like so nineties. But yeah, we'll get to that. But like, I one of the things that I love about the movie is how incredibly '90s it is. It's so like, '90s. Like, uh, just the vapor waviest of aesthetics. Everything feels like it's in a SoCal Taco Bell. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just realized uh, that the the hell at the end could have been the strip joint slash restaurant from uh, from dusk till dawn. Sure, yeah. Well, like, like, but flooded. <laughs> yeah, flooded, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, it feels like a Mexican restaurant. It's got, like, orange and pink walls. <laughs> it's, like, 
<laughs> so, yeah, oh, it's weird. Uh, so yeah, after seeing that the doll is all shredded, she decide and like the kid has had like at least two psychotic episodes this morning. She decides to call her husband and be like, "Hey, our kid is really sick. Uh, you got to get down here." Also, the stalker's been calling me. He's like, listen, uh, could you come home? It turns out our kid is Miko Hughes. It's just not working out. Uh, I thought we named him Dylan. No, we did, but he's played by Miko Hughes. You see the bind we're in. Oh, okay. I'm coming home, but I'm in Palm Springs, so I'm going to take three hours to drive there. So, you know, just try not to get killed. I'll try not to get killed. One of us is bound to succeed. Right. So, like, does it, does he die this early in the movie? Sorry, go ahead. I said, does he die this early in the movie? He dies pretty close. Uh, pretty, oh. not too far from here. Okay. We have, like, one other scene. But, yeah, as as uh, Chase drives away, we see that the claw that he was working on in the, uh, in the trailer or whatever he was in is gone. Dun, dun, dun. It's like so, it's alive uh, or something. Maybe it followed yeah, him into like, his truck. Yeah, maybe it's uh, maybe it's hiding in the chair or, or you know, I mean, Freddy's a dream thing. He doesn't need the real claw. The only reason he would take it is just to be a dick. Oh well, he is a dick. Well, it's sort of unclear how the rules work in this one because it's it is, so yeah. meta. Where, it's like, so layered. Like some some layers might not work the same as others. Well, all of the other ones, there's usually some sort of entry to the dream. Uh, it, they lose focus on it more and more over time. But like in the first one, it's only, you know, he, he only attacks people in their dreams. In the second one, uh, he's I, I, the second one seems to be like displays of teenage emotion. It's It's like he's physically manifesting rather than. In the dreams. I, I don't know how that one works either. But then like the third one we saw, yeah, it's dreams again. He only comes out when the people are asleep. This one, I don't know. It's yeah. it's like the the sixth mm, fifth, sixth one. Fifth one? The the one where the the dream child. Right. Which because uh, that one has has the conceit that it's the unborn baby anytime it's dreaming. Freddy can affect reality. This oh. feels like those rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, but whose dreams is it? Maybe it's Miko Hughes's dreams. Maybe, but like since so much of this is like dreamception, theoretically, unless we're on the top level, Freddy should be able to come out anywhere, anyhow. I guess, but maybe. like, but like, it's, it's the reason I love it so much is because we're never. It's never crystal clear what layer of reality we're in. Yeah, and it's uh, there. It's a nastier Freddy than appears in most of the movies. Like he's not quippy in this one. Darker. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> I love that. The the first two movies have a Freddy like this, and all of the rest of them, he's a little bit sillier and has one liners. This one, he doesn't do it again. Like it's it's him reeled back to basics. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I like I like kind of the meta reasoning for it, which we'll get to when she finally meets with Wes Craven. Uh, but that's that's not for a while. Here we've got uh, Chekhov's Hansel and Gretel story. Uh, she's reading Hansel and Gretel to the kid and she's like, oh, man, this is actually way too violent. 
And the kid's like, what? No, it's not. Come on. I've memorized the whole thing. And uh, yeah. Sorry, you know, I just... dropped my headphones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I missed that. Could you could you repeat? Uh, yes. Um, so what we're getting here is uh, Chekhov's Hansel and Gretel story, uh, where she thinks it's too – she's like telling, re- reading the story to the kid, and she thinks it's too violent for him. And the kid's like, come on. No, it's not. He's right. That's absurd. He's right. It's no, it Hansel is... and Gretel. Like, I understand her concerns with uh, the kid watching a movie where she herself dies in the movie. I, I get that. That one I understand. This is a little ridiculous. Well, and, and I think maybe this is sort of Wes Craven's POV on it is like he's always looked at horror as this sort of uh, essential expression of the, the darker urges in society. And it's it's sort of a pressure valve. And, and that's sort of what he's expressing with all of the, like the earthquake stuff and <laughs> Freddie needing to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so him referring to like these classical folk tales like the the grim folk tales which you know go back centuries uh and her reading them and realizing yeah these are extremely gory and gruesome it's like yeah because that's just part of folk history yeah and i i i feel like maybe his point is so chill out horror isn't that (laughs) fucking bad 90s yeah i mean yeah it could be yeah the the kills aren't even that brutal in this they're definitely not realistic no and and like the only one that really feels uh harsh is the the babysitter one later and that one is just a direct copy of the first movie Mm -hmm. so the kid like makes her finish the story by saying it's important it's gonna become a plot point later so you need to know how hansel and gretel got their way home because she that's how we're going to do it later on. She does know, though, because this is a, something she reads him all the time. And yeah. also, it's Hansel and Gretel. I, you, people, uh, I know, right? I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Hansel and Gretel. It's a really obscure story that maybe we should go over. <laughs> that that maybe feels a little hand-holdy. It's like, well, the audience may not know how Hansel and Gretel ends. And it's like, true, they may not, but maybe they could just figure it out. <laughs> well, they need to at least mention the breadcrumbs. Otherwise, the, the scene later on will feel even weirder than it already does. I suppose. So here is uh, actually the scariest part of the movie for me. Mm. Uh, is Because this is actually how my, how my dad died, minus the Freddy Claw. Uh, mm-hmm. Just being really tired, uh, driving late at night, um, going, falling, like uh, closing his eyes for like a few seconds, and then he just veered. Well, veered out the road. I mean, that that happens road, a yeah, lot. It happens. That's well, and and you grew up in like mountain towns, right? Uh, no, this wasn't in mountain towns. This was in uh, Manitoba. Oh, so he did, so veering off the road wouldn't have been a problem, but he veered into the, the other lane and uh, All right. hit a bus. Ooh, geez. Yeah. So, so very similar to this. Very, very similar. Um, he's like trying to force himself to stay awake, you know, loud music in the truck, uh, uh, doing everything he can. Right. Um, and then we see a Freddy Claw come up from the seat, but instead of ripping through it like you expect, it, it kind of ripples, ripples with like CG. CGI water. It like 
it looks so bad, but also is so dreamlike that I love it. It kind of weirdly works. Like, I feel like a lot of, like, the, the other CG that appears later on doesn't work either. Like, it looks bad and it doesn't work. This doesn't look great, but it kind of just fits anyways. Yeah, no, it, it works. It, it, it sort of just looks kind of cool uh, in its unreality. Yeah, so uh, uh, Chase gets got, and we see him swerve into, like, I guess a wall or something while he's getting clawed in the chest and in the face and all that. And it looks like it's going to go for his cock, but we don't see it. Thank God. Well, so also this is a callback to a shot in the first movie, the way it comes up in the crotch. Uh, it's a happens with uh, Heather Langenkamp in a bathtub in the first movie, oh. which is why this ripples like water when oh. it comes through the car seat. Interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Rather than it ripping through, because it's, you know, surreptitiously happening and him not seeing it, but us seeing it, which is the same way it happens in the first. Yeah. But oh, good thing it was just a dream. She wakes up and everything's fine. And, oh no, there's two cops at the door, and the dream she had was real. Yeah. Well, and and so uh, were the other ones. I I don't know why they like he was unwilling to believe her after he found out that those other two guys died and he had to go do their job. Well, he didn't find <laughs> out they died. He just thought that they didn't show up. Oh, I guess. We don't find out they died until much later, and it's like a news report that you might not even pay attention. Yeah, to. it's just in the background. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So continuing how this is the scariest scene for me. Mm. Uh, uh, the, the kid was watching and I don't know, but when this exact thing happened to my mom, I think I was awake. Oh, like when, when they showed up to tell her when the cops showed up. Ooh, yeah. yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, like, you know, real, real trauma stuff and, and yeah. they, they do it That'll very, mess kid up. I know. Mm-hmm. I, and like to Wes Craven's credit, he always does this stuff, uh, totally straight. Like he, mm -hmm. he doesn't mess around with it and it, it feels authentic. Yeah. So of course she's all like, I want to see the body. And the cops are like, no, you don't. Yeah. No, you don't. Uh, she doesn't, but she thinks she does. So, you know, they just let her randomly wander around in the morgue without an escort. I guess you could just do that back in the nineties. She's a Hollywood actress. <laughs> uh, that's true. So I've always wondered, are, have, have you been to an actual morgue? Because I have not. Are they always as creepy as they are in movies? Or did you, movies just decide to do that? I mean, I haven't really been. I like I've been around them because my mom worked in the hospital growing up. But uh, I mean, they're they're kind of like this. this is, okay. They certainly are not. They're less like this now but you know they, they were creepy then they, they've gradually become less creepy over time uh for instance there's uh stan brackage's the act of seeing with one's own eyes uh which is his movie of just like an hour of real autopsy footage from oh. like a boston clinic or something and it, it's just a real morgue operating for a day and it's it, like the griminess of the setting it's very very haunting like it's something i'll never forget seeing mm, wow that sounds uh it doesn't sound like a, a shanna movie i watched it on a big screen once <laughs> like i saw it 
projected in it because I, I, I it was for a movie class in university oh. and uh it, it was all my fault because i owned it on disc and i had already seen it so i knew uh, and the teacher was like there's a movie i've been trying to get a hold of but i don't know if i have it and i put up my hand is like i have a copy of that <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh when most of the class walked out during the course of it i knew i wouldn't be very popular in that class the rest of the year oh no really oh, is that that <laughs> a lot of people walked out it's i mean there there is an autopsy of a child oh okay yeah no thank you uh, also they peel the faces off Oh, I don't want to see somebody take their face. <laughs> well, they 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 cut it at the top and they peel the face down to uh, obscure the identity, so just their faces are pulled off. It's very very That's troubling even to see. Worse, just yeah. put a little black bar, man. Yeah, it's a documentary. Yeah, a very very intense thing. Holy shit! Well, we'll have to do brackage sometime. <laughs> maybe, maybe. You, you'll probably like some of his other stuff. That one uh, you can skip. I, I totally understand. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so she finds the body, and, the, and she's like, "Hey, lift up the sheet." And the guy's like, "Yeah, okay, here we go." Uh, see, that's his face. And she's like, uh, "Lift it up again, please." She's the guy's like, "Well, like she sees just like a little." edge Little of edge a cut of the, i was like yeah mm, i don't know the guy's uh, like yeah. ma'am there's a reason we don't, don't do this yeah because yeah he pulls it the rest of the way down and yeah it's, it's a big freddy claw yeah it's a big freddy claw uh, or he, you know he could have just hit the uh the dashboard claw when <laughs> when the accident happens every car has got a dashboard claw i, mean, I don't know they're, like they, yeah, yeah it's a little it's, it's a little pushing it, it. It is a little absurd, but it, like we, we are supposed to know that it is Freddy. Because oh yeah, of course. Within the confine in in the con- confines of the movie, it is Freddy. But on their side, I guess it sort of does make sense that like yeah, I mean, people can get messed up in a car accident. The, the crazy things can happen. The car accidents Bad are terrifying. Happen, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For I've sure. been in car accidents and they are shitty and they're frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we cut right to the funeral scene. This scene is very frightening, too. Oh, I like this scene because she opted with the uh, she opted to get a coffin with a secret passage to hell. Uh, That must have cost her a pretty penny. Uh, And Freddy's down there. Yeah, that that's like for me, that is the the most troubling sequence in the movie. Just the it it reminds me of at the beginning of uh, or yeah, early Twin Peaks with Leland jumping into the grave jumping into laura's grave and riding the coffin up and down makes me think of that yeah that's that's sort of what happens here because they're lowering the coffin down um and there's an earthquake which causes the coffin to fall and tip open and the corpse uh falls and she's like she's running to it but then she sees that dylan's not in a chair uh so he so then she looks back at the coffin and he's getting pulled inside. So she jumps in after him. Right. Cause it's like tilted downwards tilted. into the, the hole. Cause like it's yeah. fallen part way. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's like going through like, I guess like a fold in the fabric that I, I really like the design of the, I guess the tunnel It's just like all the coffin fabric all lining the whole thing. And it's just like this big long tunnel of that. 
and we see Freddy dragging the kid and she's pulling him back. It's good real, uh, good Freddy reality bending of him mm-hmm. just like taking an existing element and like we, we have the grave and we have uh, all of the iconography of the grave with the uh, coffin and the velvet lining and everything. And it's like, let's combine these into sort of a nightmarish vision of grief. Like yeah. th- this is how she's having to deal with the funeral is experiencing it through like going into a tunnel of grief of death. Mm-hmm. And here I'm just imagining because Robert Englund's at the funeral. I'm just imagining him standing up and saying, okay, guys, I just want to make be, make clear that everybody sees me here, just standing here and not doing that. That's not me. I'm here. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Robert Englund would be like, how'd you guys cast someone else for Freddy? Come on. That's bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, um, maybe. That's my role. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she gets she gets the kid up, uh, but then zombie Chase gets up and is like, "Hey, um, I can't remember what he says, but it's like, hey, got come to light. hell with me or <laughs> got a light." <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she wakes up because it was a dream, and she apparently just ran to the coffin and tripped and fell and hit her head on the edge. So, yeah, Apparently. she, she kind of technically did the Leland Palmer thing. She fell into the grave and rode down the coffin. You you want to imagine that somewhere people are having like a lunch counter conversation and like it was much more comical and slapstick what actually happened. <laughs> but she saw it the horror way. Yeah, well, well, she's she's even talking to John about it later. And John's like, look, what you're imagining didn't happen. You just ran and then you tripped and fell and. We all tried not to laugh. And and there there wasn't anything else funny that happened after that, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I do yeah. love John Saxon. I, I, I'm such a huge John Saxon fan, so I'm always really jazzed to see him and stuff. Yeah, he's comforting her. And at this point, he hasn't appeared in the movie yet. And because I hadn't seen the first one, I didn't mm. know that he was her dad. So I thought he might be like her actual dad. <laughs> Their right. relationship kind of feels that way well saxon just seems so fatherly uh he has like for me 80 the perfect horror 80s dad is saxon 100 percent uh he he just has that perfect horror dad energy yeah and a lot of it comes from nightmare on elm street where he is kind of a definitive horror dad okay yeah, he kills it in this. Uh, I actually so have a, I actually have a section of my notes for John Saxon lays out the facts <laughs> or the Faxons. Yeah, mm, maybe not mm. the Faxons. Nah, no, no. Uh, it's just well that he has a career spanning from like he worked with Bruce Lee. Oh wow, know? he's in Enter the Dragon. Holy shit! He he's like the guy who he he's like he, Bruce Lee's backup guy. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John Saxon fucking rules. What a cool dude. Wow. Yeah. So then we get another sleepwalking scene. The kids watching Freddy unplugs the TV. You know, just another one of these. There's there's there might be a few too many of these, if you ask me. Yeah, because it's basically the same thing every time. There's not really yeah, any this, variation to it. Yeah. This time he gets a nosebleed instead of screaming. screaming. Yeah. And... You know, they're lying in bed together, and he's like, where's daddy? 
Right. She's like in heaven. He's in the radiator. <laughs> so that's that's a that's, that's a very weird David Lynch reference. I don't uh, eraser. Oh, <laughs> have you seen Eraserhead? We got to do Eraserhead. Wasn't <sighs> Cooper in the radiator at one point too? Uh, he's he, he was in the knob on the desk. Right, and David Bowie was in a kettle. Yeah, yeah. In the return. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the next thing the kid says is like. Why does God let there be bad things? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> that's a tough question. Well, let me tell you, there's a couple of reasons. She actually says, I don't know, but I've got a couple of reasons. One, you, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't get into it here. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> it's a classical question. I'm sure it'll come up again. Oh, I'm sure it will. Uh, I noticed here, though, that she keeps a cup of coffee by her bed. That rules. And like... Later, we see a coffee maker plugged in on the nightstand by her bed. Which is coming out of the first movie, which she did in the movie as a kid. Like, like, yeah, so much of this is echoing from the previous movie. So that one, like the coffee maker, maybe the movie reality bleeding into this one. But I like as an adult, <laughs> she's like, I could go for coffee any time of the day or night. <laughs> I've been you there. Know what? <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty like men. I, I should incorporate that into my daily life. I'll just I've, like I've I've done summers like that because like it's like well I'm not going to be sleeping anytime around the daytime. <laughs> All right. So the next so yeah now now the, now that the kid knows that uh, dad's in heaven he can do his next creepy thing. Uh, so we've got uh, so we've got them in the playground uh she's on the bench talking to john saxon while the kid's playing with this ridiculous rocket construct in the playground right he climbs up really high like higher than he's supposed to be able to get but it also seems like a weird structure that you'd be able to get up there yeah like there's a hatch where there would not be a hatch like, it's uh, not supposed to be accessible. I think the idea is that Freddy made it accessible to him, like, made him be able to open it. Uh, yeah, I buy I, that. I, I think that's the idea there. But, uh, yeah, it just seems like maybe... Like, we, we have a park in Victoria called Gyro Park with a couple things that I remember it being kind of cool to climb, where there's, like, a really big Ogopogo statue and like climbing up to the top of the tail was sort of an achievement or like on the big fish. But like this thing is twice as tall as those. You wouldn't like, especially in the 90s, there's no way you'd be able to build something like this on a playground. Absolutely not. Like, this not is when they track down on that stuff in the 80s, maybe. Maybe it's a leftover that got, I don't know, the paperwork for the inspection didn't get, I don't know. I don't know. They were sacking and burning these things. <laughs> it was like, oh man, the the public health, like, oh yeah, man. That's, yeah, they really were. I remember the lawsuits. We lost a lot. We did. Like my school playgrounds. We lost a lot of cool shit. Yeah, same. And they replaced it with just like big fucking Duplo blocks. Yeah. So so here's John laying out the facts to her. Yeah. Uh, he says, okay. Your son is obviously very troubled by his sleepwalking stuff, as well as the fact that his father just died. And he knows that something is seriously bothering you, even if he doesn't know what kids know. You should take him to a doctor. 
Oh, yeah. I don't want to. I don't think this is. Also, you did not dive into the coffin. You just slipped and fell. All that other stuff didn't happen. It felt so real. It felt real, but wasn't real. You should Dreams. probably go to a doctor. Yeah. And John Saxon's a real matter of fact dude. Like, this is his character in all of his movies. I really love this guy. There's, yeah, a, there's a cannibal movie called Cannibal Apocalypse where he's a Vietnam vet who contracted cannibalism from Vietnam. What? <laughs> and, what? And he has, like, a flashback to Vietnam, and there's, like, him and his platoon. They're all coming down with cannibalism in the United <laughs> States. It's an insane movie. We, we, we totally have to watch it sometime. The first it's time I watched good. it, was one of the first times I'd taken a really strong edible and it was so much like I couldn't take it. Like it was very upsetting to me the whole time. And I've watched it a few times since and it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> is, is that one of the video nasty ones? I believe it sounds so. familiar. It, or maybe I'm maybe. thinking Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, it could be both. Cannibal Holocaust definitely is. I think Cannibal Apocalypse also was just by virtue of having Cannibal in the title, pretty much anything with Cannibal in the title uh, got banned. <laughs> mm. But also, like, the thing that I like about John here is he's like, okay, you've had this crazy stalker stalking the shit out of you. It is normal to be fucked up after that. Get some fucking help. Yeah. Um, especially since your family has a history of mental illness, apparently. I mean, that's that's totally fair. I mean, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, it's it's such a beautiful day. Ooh, I was yeah. like, oh, you know, your ancestor was found in a field uh, wearing or like, yeah, yelling Bobble, uh, wearing only its own hair. You, you, you should maybe go see somebody about that. Yeah, basically, he's like saying, like, look, you're not crazy, but you have had a lot of really nasty shit happen to you in a very short time. And you should talk to somebody professional and get someone to look after your kid here. Well, completely. She has PTSD and does need to talk to someone. He is completely yes. right. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's that's why it's called. John Saxon lays out the facts. Yeah. but Lays out the she, facts, son. Facts. Yo. Mm. Oh, you uh, saved it? it? Yeah, there yeah, much go. better. Much better. Uh, but she doesn't have time to take any of this to heart because the kid has been he's climbing, climbing on top the of this rocket for like the last 10 minutes and he's at the top now and he's raising his arm to heaven and then he falls down and she catches him and he's like god didn't want me <laughs> god what a told me to <laughs> creepy kid uh what a was... fucking line <laughs> god told me to uh evil creepy kid there there is a movie god told me to uh, which is <laughs> where <laughs> it's it's a series of like crazy things happen and every time someone comes up to them like you know there's a mass shooting with a sniper or something and uh the the police get to them and it's like why did you do it and they always say god told me to uh and then they kill themselves Interesting. and then later on it turns out there's this guy who really looks like jesus and he's been telling people to do these things <laughs> 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 all right all right he I may actually it. be jesus yeah i don't know it's a very <laughs> crazy movie yeah so uh back in the house we find out that she's been getting these letters from this stalker th as well this is the first time we uh see them but she's been saving them in a drawer as opposed to turning them into the police or anything the police kind of don't do a lot for this sort of thing it, it takes a lot for the police to intervene in a 
stalking harassment type case. Well, you know, it also takes a lot for the police to intervene in school shooting. It takes or a lot domestic, for the police to intervene. Domestic disturbance. Yeah. yeah. Domestic I mean, like, disturbance, terror attack. It takes a lot for the police to interfere. Unless you've got a homeless camp, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember that one. Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, they live. They live. In real life. Yeah, they live, and it had happened, like, two times when, like, in the past month when we watched They Live, like, locally. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but, yes, uh, it, it totally tracks to me that she would have all of these and that the police would not do anything about it because it is very hard to get something on, like, a harassment case. Like, it, it's just yeah. too much work. And, like, well, you is it a credible threat? And you, you yeah, it's too much work. I, okay, yeah, I guess she just knows that they're useless. So she she calls Robert about her Freddy dreams. Robert Englund, of course, who plays Freddy Krueger. Yeah. And uh, mentions about the mail and like the dreams, and it's like, wait, so I'm in your dreams? No, not you. I'm scarier than you. And I'm just thinking to myself, ouch. <laughs> yeah, I try to be pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, but he. <laughs> I guess maybe this also is some commentary on the character because again, this is returning Freddie to the way he only was in like the first two movies. And he became gradually less scary to the point where he was kind of not supposed to be entirely the villain by the last couple, whereas sort of like, ha Freddie killing people is fun. And he has all these jokes. Yeah. He's where, become a joke character. Yeah, and Wes Craven's come back to so like this guy's a child molester, and he was always supposed to be extremely evil and very frightening, and like he's coming to kids in their dreams, and it's a whole uh, sexual abuse metaphor, and there's a lot of stuff there. Like he's not funny. We're not doing that this time. So it, it could it could be a commentary on the the progress of the character over time. So yeah, like they're talking some more. Uh, she asks about Wes Craven's script and. He's like, well, he just got to the part where uh, Dylan tried to reach God. Isn't that fucked up, putting your kid in the movie? Oh, well. And then... I I would think that the really fucked up thing at this point is putting the death of her husband in the movie. They address that, but... eh, They they address (laughs) it, but I don't feel like it's satisfactory. No, and also just that, like, if he would mention the thing about dylan climbing up on the thing for one thing why would he not point like i'm surprised that he's including your husband's death in that does that or or, like has he talked to you about that are you cool (laughs) with that because i mean this is a popcorn entertainment work and that seems crass i don't know yeah but they don't have that conversation instead they're like well this freddy is different somehow and he's like is he darker (laughs) <laughs> more evil than before and she's like yeah how did you know and he's just I've been like seeing him too yeah he's been having nightmares too freddie himself is having nightmares Whoa. i'm having me nightmares <laughs> I'm that would coming after me oh, that, would be, that would actually be yeah that would be fucked up if like a scarier version of yourself were like chasing you around in your nightmares that would be, yeah, that would, that would mess you up. That that would, like, say some psychological things about you. Well, we kind of get the feeling that it is uh, saying some psychological things about uh, Robert because he seems very disturbed by all this now all of a sudden. 
Yeah, he he gets kind of creepy and then he just sort of drops out of the movie. He oh yeah, he literally does. After this phone call, he looks at the painting he's done, which is a I guess a scary Freddy painting. <laughs> it's a Freddy painting anyway. It's a Freddy painting. It's a little kind of surreal. Uh, but he's really disturbed by it, so he's like, "That's it. I'm, I'm, I'm out of the movie. I'm done. I'm just gonna leave a voicemail saying that uh, I've disappeared for a long time, and that'll be that." Yeah. Uh, forward all night calls. I am not the guy. I'm not the Freddy who's causing havoc. I'm Robert England who's going to go on a vacation somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be blamed for none of this shit. I was in Honolulu. I mean, I guess if we want to. Well, I mean, I guess it still doesn't work with the babysitter, but like if the, the all of the subsequent stuff is supposed to be a real person, it could be Robert England. Oh, <laughs> He's like he... built a chute in her house to like the <laughs> sewer. And there's like it, it, she didn't know that like there there was like a different there there's like a Mexican restaurant under her house before she lived there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's all Maybe. coming together. <laughs> uh, it still doesn't quite make the no it really scene doesn't work. no it completely doesn't although yeah the, that whole third act kind of kills the whole actually we're almost at the third act aren't we it should be oh, yeah. we're right there uh yeah so so we cut to her sleeping and she's tossing and turning and this is the first time that it's overtly clear that she's dreaming mm-hmm. uh kid sleepwalks again only this time uh, this time, uh, claws come up through the sheets uh, of her bed where she's sleeping and actually cutting it, not doing the ripply effect. Mm-hmm. And they're about to uh, about to slash her. But then suddenly the kid drops a drawer full of silverware. So the kid saved her life. But then what he does after that shows she wakes up and goes downstairs where he goes all shining again. And he's all like, why do Freddy's coming for you? And he's made like silverware yeah. claws and yet he's really screaming it uh he, he's he's going harder what the by oh yeah he's like overpowering her almost yeah well he, like, he's he's going full miko hughes yeah and then she wakes up so we're on dream count five or six yeah, yeah it's, it's it's it is inception she needs some kind of uh thing like what, hmm, what would i don't know what nancy you know would what? have or Heather. The kid even, actually, yeah, the kid says, like, I've got the T-Rex to guard me at one point. Uh, yeah. You should have a guard, too. That's the thing. Yeah, he has a, a dream icon, but she doesn't. Yeah, no, she doesn't get anything that would work. I don't I can't even see anything in this movie that could serve that role. No, not really. The script that's <laughs> so close to the end it doesn't help that would be extremely meta though wouldn't it but, like <laughs> no, she, I mean, it... <laughs> her her escape hatch from uh the dream world is having the script to the movie that she's in that that works <laughs> especially with the way this movie is fit together yeah so um so she goes down and he's he's still being creepy even though this is apparently not a dream now and he's found uh, the stalker letters that were introduced in the last scene. And they spell out, answer the phone. So the phone rings. She picks it up. The kid seizures. Yeah. And, oh. I just, this, I just want to laugh that the stalker letters are all actually each 
a letter to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to take a moment to, to point out yes. how comical that is. That like each of them is one large letter as well as it's like being you're a stalker. being stalked by a Sesame Street character, right? <laughs> Today's stalker letter is brought to you by the letter A. <laughs> a for answer the phone. And this is when the tongue comes out of the phone. This is right? when the tongue comes out. Uh, but that's not the part that bothered me. What bothered okay. me was when the kid was spitting out the spittle, and then the phone just started spitting out just bubbly spit. And like, oh, to yeah. me, that's grosser than vomit would have been. I don't know why, but ooh, it bothered me. Yeah, just spit coming out of there in phlegm uh, pouring out of the <laughs> the phone ear. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Like, I'm, I'm actually physically <laughs> curling up into a ball thinking about it yeah, it's gross it's... and and like this is a classic freddy thing is uh liquids coming out of phones tongues coming out of phones he does this in a lot of the movies for whatever reason the phone is a real freddy go-to yeah so she finally takes the kid to the hospital although it was a bad choice ultimately oh absolutely uh she's got like the most judgmental doctor ever this guy sucks. All of the uh, people at the hospital suck in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, there's there's an actual nurse ratchet. Yeah. I don't think it's played by her, though. But no. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd gotten her. Because she does that sometimes. She, <laughs> she'll she, show up. She'll ratchet up the stakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, this, this oh, it's, doctor. Sorry? It's, Lynn, it's Lynn Shea who plays the nurse. Uh, the... Who's the wife of Bob Shea? Who's oh. one of the 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 producer of the producer, movie? Yeah. Okay, who's cool. in the movie? Who appears as himself? And Lynn Shea has appeared in. She was the teacher in the original movie. Okay. Uh, so like in like the body bag scene again, she's droning on about whatever English assignment they have when the scene happens. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So she's so the the doctor is questioning Heather. And uh, and is all like, did the kids say, did Dylan say anything, give you any clues as to what this, what might be causing this or anything? Because, you know, if, if he said something before he had the seizure, that might be a clue. And Heather's like, no. And I'm like, Heather, bad Heather. Yes. The answer was yes. Um, it's true. Yeah, yeah, but these people. Yeah. But then, you know, this judgmental doctor would have been like, well, it's your fault for making her. For making him watch the movies. Actually, yeah, this this is they're very judgy about the movies. And it's like, man, let people parent their own kids. That's what's mm-hmm. get out of the business. I was watching horror movies when I was really young. It I don't know if it messed me up. <laughs> <laughs> did it mess me up? I mean I still watch a lot of these. I got messed up. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that I don't have emotional problems, but <laughs> I don't think it's because of horror movies. Yeah, no. Um, horror movies are my safe space. There you go. <laughs> so the kid's like, oh, no, we forgot Rex. Can you go home and get Rex, Mommy? And Mommy's like, well, no, you have to get better so that you can go home to Rex. And I'm like, you're not going to go get him yourself. Isn't your house just across the street from the hospital? You know, it'd be really cool if they did a Toy Story sequel that was set in New Nightmare and like Rex was Rex from Toy Story. (laughs) 
There's like a whole thing where they like were trying to get Rex to uh, the hospital on the night that this is happening, and they're like, <laughs> show up oh to see the God. babysitter getting murdered by Freddy. Yeah, and then and then uh, Woody and Buzz have to have a showdown with a giant Freddy Krueger. I was thinking that like they have to go into therapy for their PTSD. Uh, that too, that too. A very Toy Story Halloween, or a, a Toy Story nightmare. Or, or maybe the kid also has a Freddy Krueger toy who's friends with Woody, and the, <laughs> and the Freddy toy is like, hey, that one's not me. Yeah, and like, it's it's dressed up with like, uh, <laughs> Robert Englund's like, tiny black shades. <laughs> like, in a sharp suit and stuff. And it's like, come on, yeah, you know that's not me. I don't I don't do that anymore. Come on. <laughs> so uh, the doctor gives the kid a sleeping pill, but he doesn't take it. He, you know, does the fake take pill thing. Yeah. And uh, as she leaves, she's like driving through. Turns out these earthquakes have really fucked up L.A. that we just kind of haven't really dealt with any of that. Because we've got, like, her driving down a montage. We see all these ruined buildings. Well, there's been a lot of them. And and I think maybe at this point we're, we're really crossing out of reality. So maybe we're seeing an amplified version. Could be. Um, especially since she's going to Wes Craven's house. Yeah. And he's, like, there to tell her about the earthquake stuff, too. Yeah, it's like he it's like, hey, uh, it's good to see you're here. I'm going to exposition about the whole thing, about the whole point of the movie right now. So um, there's this ancient evil, uh, super old, uh, completely unstoppable. But you can capture it by telling stories about it. And then it gets trapped in the story. But if the story stops being scary or if it stops being popular, He'll start crossing into reality. He'll get set free. And we have to keep on making Freddy movies uh, until the the property becomes unpopular. Yeah, it's it's the Simpsons thing, too. Yeah. Uh, initially, Wes Craven had uh, in the script, his, his idea was that he'd cut his own eyes, eyelids off to stay awake. But oh. then ultimately he decided, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would have been. <laughs> that would have been too much. Yeah. But yeah, he's basically saying to her, it's like, well, the only way we can stop this evil, we got to make yeah. another movie. Got to make another one. I, I have a script. To, <laughs> are you ready to play Nancy one last time? Trailer line for sure, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, but here is where she confronts uh, Wes about, you know, using her husband in the movie. And <laughs> yeah, she's like, insane. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't know. And it's like, well, of course, nobody asks him, well, could you maybe take that part out of the future movie? <laughs> yeah, out of maybe, respect? Maybe that could just not be in the script. I don't know. That sucks. I mean, since you did it without consent and then it happened, and it's kind of a violation thing. No, no, no. We're just going to sweep that under the rug with one sentence. Yeah, we, we're, we're never going to fully address that. Like, I, I actually killed your husband uh, by writing this script for a fucking slasher sequel. <laughs> It's very important to the I continued existence to. of humanity, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't mean to. Well, sorry. Get good, scrub. Yeah, so now she knows she's got to play Nancy one last time. Uh, she's at her house. 
uh, I guess, still not getting the T-Rex toy for the kid because she's reading uh, reading up on childhood schizophrenia. This is where we find out that extreme sleep deprivation has similar symptoms. Yeah, well, like Buzz and, and, and Woody are, are dealing with the Rex issue right now. So she's just like catching up on some important reading. Oh, yeah. No, they're trying to go across the freeway right now with like a rigged up uh, wagon with a rocket. Um, it's It's really funny. We don't see any of it, but I'm sure it's quite hilarious. And only like a couple of them get run over and destroyed because it's a horror movie. Yeah, uh, the slinky dog, but, you know, they just bend his spring back into into place because it's also a Toy Story movie. Well, like he uh, doesn't show up in, in uh, the later ones because the voice actor died. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. No, well, that's Jim Varney. Oh, Ernest. shit. That's Jim Varney? Yeah. Wait, he was alive for the first Toy Story? I thought he died when I was a small kid. Uh, well, like the well, I I mean, I saw the first Toy Story in theaters when I was in elementary school. So, it, and it it could, it would have only been like a couple years after Scared Stupid, which I also saw in theaters. Mm, I saw that in theaters. Oh well, then I guess I couldn't have been a small child. Cause uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, he died in two thousand. Holy shit. Yeah. I thought he died way earlier than that. Oh, well, damn. Yeah, no, he did the voice in the first two movies, but it's the later ones that he's not in. Oh, okay, okay. Because Freddy killed saw him. the first one. Right. <laughs> but he heroically sacrificed himself by using his slinky spring to tie up Freddy right, so that yeah. the heroes could, you know, finish him off for whatever they do. Yeah. I mean, they uh, didn't because, you know, we had the whole Mexican restaurant thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Freddy comes out of the closet and attacks her uh, in the bedroom and uh, slashes her up real good before disappearing. Uh, gives her, like, these big, uh, real nasty gashes on her hands that could look like self-harm marks, but it's not. Mm. No. Uh, at this point, I think. No, we're, like, it's very firmly not an insane person story. Not anymore. Uh, yeah, it, like that's been left behind pretty far back. Yeah. Yeah, so she goes to the hospital. Uh, Julie's there for some reason. I don't think we find out why. Well, I think Julie is like, I think she called Julie and Julie is there to take care of the kid because oh. she's a babysitter. Like th this is her job. Right, right. She's sort of a personal assistant slash babysitter type thing, I think. Although I think she's also just best friends with her. Yeah, that could be. But, you know, it's the whole thing like, man, there are no visiting hours in the, uh, in the evening. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, well, we are going to push right past you and completely ignore this rule. Oh, OK. So they go to where the kid is. And uh, oh, no, here's where the doctor here's where the doctor finally is like, you let him watch those scary movies. And she's like, listen, bitch, it's a Freddy movie. Everybody has seen these damn things. Yeah. Don't blame me for letting the kid watch it. He probably went over to a friend's house and well, seen it or something or whatever. I, or, you know, it's on cable. I dressed as Freddy Krueger for Halloween before I'd seen any of the movies. Like, yeah. I dressed as Freddy for from Halloween or, or dressed up as Freddy for Halloween when I was in, like, grade four. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew who Freddy was long before I had seen any of the movies. It was just a cultural icon. 
very quickly in the 80s. Yeah. So, like, Doctor's trying to be all judgmental, and she is not having it, finally. Uh, so the kid wakes up, shinings out, barfs on her, and then the doctor comes in and she's like, I'm going to cut the evil out. And she dramatically holds up her scalpel. Oh, it's a dream. Dream numbers seven, eight. I don't know. Whose dream? I don't know, but she woke up. And uh, only to find out that the kid had just been moved downstairs for testing. She tells Julie, like, hey, uh, don't. Don't let him go to sleep. It's really important. And Julie's just kind of like, okay. I guess Julie seems a little too quickly on board with that ridiculous plan, but okay. Yeah, Julie is immediately on board. But I I think at this point also reality is starting to collapse with movie because we've already had the handover of the script, right? Like we've already had the discussion of the script being in in existence. So like – I, I do feel things are more like the overlap of dream and reality is much more interlaced by this mm-hmm. point in the movie and kind of continually more so that like she as a babysitter has sort of become the sacrificial slasher babysitter character, even though she is not that person in real life. Yeah, well, that that's what happens next. Uh, Freddie comes up behind her while she's talking to the kid. And, uh, yeah, slashes her, uh, pulls her up onto the ceiling, but, like, we see her just floating and, like, just sliding up and real nasty. Yeah, it's it's very nastily done. It's it's very good. Uh, and it's, it's the same as, like, the original movie. Uh, they, uh, you know, built the room on a gimbal and, and turned the room. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, uh, so that, like, the body moves up towards the ceiling. Uh, it's it's much bloodier in the original movie. Oh, yeah. Well, here we have all the doctors and nurses seeing this happening, which blows my theory of just a mental health crisis out of the water. Just just shoots that in the foot. Yeah, completely impossible because of this part. Yeah. This, this part strongly makes it uh, this is a supernaturally based movie. Yeah. Up until now, it, it could have still been debatable. Even if nobody had seen her die this way, it could have been debatable. But no, it's like, yeah, there, there's ghosts, there's evil, there's all this shit. Freddy's real in the universe of this movie. Which is the real world where Wes Craven makes Nightmare on Elm Street 7, yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah. With this script. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So but, Freddy's a tulpa. Oh my God, he is too. He's Wes Craven's tulpa. Yeah, he's he's a dream demon. He is completely a tulpa. Yeah. So. Uh, but they stopped feeding him with this oh, movie, and so he's did. really lost power over time. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> in this one, they kill him once and for all, theoretically. Well, they kind of do. I mean, Freddy versus Jason. Of course, he comes back. But yeah, it is totally a situation where. Man, I just don't have any power left. They're not doing movies about me anymore. This stinks. <laughs> and that is totally like, yeah, as a tulpa, I'm not getting the food I need. So the kid had just sleepwalked out. It's like the doctor's like, oh, he's not going anywhere. He's under anesthetic. And Heather's like, Do you, he sleepwalks, you idiot. And the doctor, I'm just imagining the doctor being like, this is something you absolutely should have told us before you admitted the kid. This is something we needed to know as caregivers. But 
we also maybe employ she Nurse did. Ratchet, so uh, maybe she did. Yeah, it it certainly doesn't seem like they were interested in listening to her. That is true. Like, she also said, don't give him a sleeping pill. And like, we're absolutely giving a sleeping pill. Screw you. Well, they theorized that she wasn't letting him sleep. Yeah, they, they thought it was an abuse situation. Yeah. Um, oh, also around here, her hair starts going gray. Like this one gray streak in her hair. Right, which uh, also is something that happens to the character in the first movie. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So It'll uh, be like you watching Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one now, is going to be like when you watched Citizen Kane. Because you've seen like <laughs> so many variations on it now. Oh, I bet, I bet. So now we got the kid playing in traffic scene. So their house apparently is just on the other side of the freeway from the hospital, and he's just sleepwalking over there. I figure it's a callback to Pet Cemetery, <laughs> where Miko but, Hughes gets hit by a semi. Oh, geez. Um, well, Heather almost does in this. Uh, we got Giant Moon Freddy, which looks terrible. <laughs> it's, it's a little silly. It's such a bad effect, but uh, he's like lifting the kid up with his giant claw, like lifting him over cars and just kind of like puppeteering him along the freeway while Heather is trying to chase she almost gets hit by a semi, and uh, apparently the kid gets home okay, and John is in the house. And apparently they just, yeah, they, this freeway chase just kind of ends. Uh, we don't really see how anyone gets off of the freeway. But John is there, and he is her dad in the movie. He is her dad, and he's calling her Nancy. And uh, she's like, well, why are you calling me Nancy, John? And he's like, why are you calling me John, sweetie? Like, what's going on with you? Yeah, it's like right around here where she figures it out. She's like, okay, I love you, daddy. And then suddenly she's wearing her pajamas. Right, which again, like now she's in the last act of uh, the original Nightmare where like she has that conversation with him and it's like, I'm going to go into the dream and I'm going to pull him out and uh, I just want you waiting here with all the police. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, sure. Which is funny because, like, he says that line and then we see it on the TV later, him saying that exact line. So it's like, oh, yeah, ah, it's a callback. It is. Yeah. So here's where Chekhov's Hansel and Gretel starts to come in because she's because instead of following a trail of breadcrumbs, she's following a trail of sleeping pills. How many did they give this kid? I figured, like, he just took a bottle. He must have. Well, in the chaos of the hospital, he could have. The resourceful, uh, creepy kid. Oh, yeah. I might need all these sleeping pills to do something creepy with later. <laughs> yeah, so she's following the sleeping pill trail, and she sees Rex is just shredded. He is too, torn to shreds, you say. How's he going to get out of the dream now? Only he knows the way. Uh, that's going to be a problem. Somebody's got to go and pull him out. Hmm. So she finds the last sleeping pill. She's like, well, guess I got to join him in the dream. And she freaking takes all of them. And I'm like, don't overdose on sleeping pills. So she goes in under the covers of the bed, which uh, does kind of a similar thing to the coffin effect. Where it's mm -hmm. like the blanket it's like a tube. tent is a tunnel kind of thing. But then it turns into like a sewer and a water slide. 
and uh, spits her out of a giant Freddy mouth in the wall, and they're finally in hell. Or in a flooded um, Mexican restaurant. <laughs> which is a, is a type of hell. It kind of, like, it, it, it is sort of reminiscent of uh, later later levels of doom you know like the alien planet when you have just like oh. uh the because it, it just sort of looks like southwestern tex-mex sort of decor uh it, it, like it, it seems very vapor wavy to me this this whole section just you know the water and the the chains and the uh-huh. pink and orangey walls it it feels like they they've fallen into like a vaporwave album cover. <laughs> uh, maybe. So she finds Wes Craven's script, and I'm just thinking, well, you could just read to the end and, uh, you know, figure out how to solve the problem and do it. But she doesn't do it. Uh, she just reads the part where she's reading about reading about her reading the script. But that's the thing. If she keeps reading it, it's It'll just, just reading be more her that. where she's reading the script. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just how this stuff works. It's really meta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Freddie finds her and pushes her into a pool of snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? Freddie's big with snakes. There's a lot of snakes in these. There's a, there's a lot of Freddie turning into big snakes, too. Oh, there was some of that in number three, wasn't there? Right, I think that's the one where he does turn into a big snake and try to eat someone. Yeah, so she picks up a random snake that just and like shoves it into his eye, and of course it bites him, because why not? Sure. <laughs> it's fun. He gets bitten in the eye by a snake, and then Dillum stabs him in the leg with some knife from God, who cares where. He's a creepy kid. He definitely comes <laughs> equipped with a knife. Uh, <laughs> I, I assume it's... Knives. I assume it's the same one that he uh, used to slash the people's tendons with in <laughs> Pet Cemetery, Or one of the ones he used to make his own Freddy Claw. Or yeah. both. It could be the same one for both of for all sure. those jobs. Oh, yeah. I mean, knives are very multi-purpose, especially when you're a creepy kid. Yeah. And then he leaps after... Freddy stalks him for quite a while through this hell dungeon, whatever thing, until he finally leaps into Chekhov's oven. Uh, of course, the oven from Hansel and Gretel. We, from here, it's crystal clear where the story's going to go, even though it takes like another 10 minutes to get there. Yeah, it's it's a little slow. And I, I, it right again, to my point of it feeling like they're just in a flooded restaurant, he just gets kicked into an oven. <laughs> like it, it just feels like they're in a, a restaurant, a very '90s restaurant with Southwest decor. It does kind of look like a pizza oven. I I would say more like a pizza oven than it does like a Hansel and Gretel style oven, because you know until you mention it, it hadn't actually occurred to me in this viewing. Like, oh yeah, this is a Hansel and Gretel thing, and he's in the oven like the witch. Just like, oh, yeah, they threw him in the pizza oven in the flooded restaurant. That makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, they they weren't – the Hansel and Gretel thing wasn't just the pills. Right, and yeah. Actually, I think because it's a more powerful story – like Hansel and Gretel is a more powerful story than Freddy, and I think that's why uh, Freddy was able to get killed this way. Yeah, definitely a stronger, more resonant piece of folklore. Uh, Freddy is too new to the scene, even though he's, I guess, in this supposed to be an ancient demon 
who controls dreams. Yeah, but his power is from his comes from his popularity. Right. Which uh, Hansel and Gretel will always be more popular than Fred. Well, I don't know. Are those fairy tales still a big thing in 2022? I have no idea. I mean, I'm still familiar with them. They still they're public domain, so people still make them. There's like I'm sure there were Hansel and Gretel movies in the past 20 years. I remember there like wasn't. Oh, I think there, there must were, have been. I think there was a franchise where there were two Hansel and Gretel movies where they were monster hunters. Oh, There's like famous right. people in them, like really well known. I'm, I'm probably like Kristen Stewart or something. Maybe Hansel Maybe. and Gretel Witch Hunters. Uh, and it stars Jeremy Renner as, <laughs> as Hansel. That, that's what I was trying to remember. Yeah, it's, it's Jeremy Renner as Hansel. It had a okay. sequel. There were two of them. Oh, yeah. shit. Um, yeah, so, yeah, they, they do a bunch of stuff. Uh, Freddy, like, gets a snaky tongue. The kid has to stab it. Yeah, they kick him into the oven. He turns into a Satan for a little bit, for like you a frame or two, before he melts in a CGI uh, effects fest. Yeah, he you know he melts down. Uh, it, it it feels symbolic that uh, like you know that you get to the mid '90s and Freddy is just killed by shitty special effects, and it's like <laughs> we don't do practical effects anymore, so we don't do Freddy movies anymore. I guess. Um, yeah, so this causes uh, hell to explode. Or and, the restaurant to explode. Or the restaurant to explode, you know. <laughs> and then they're just back in the bed. Uh, it's not shredded and everything is apparently fine. And uh, Heather's got a copy of the script with a special note from uh, Wes that says, Thank you for having the guts to play Nancy one last time. Now Freddy is where he belongs. That's that's it. Yep, that's it. Uh, and although there there are some fun credits where it's like Freddy as himself. Yeah, uh, I do like I, I didn't get to like closely examine the credits, but yes, uh, it has like um, Robert Englund as himself and then Freddy Krueger as himself. So, yeah, did Robert uh, Englund play him in this? He did, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, he okay. he did still play him, but like he played him differently. Uh, and and I think there's also a thing where it's like uh, the events in this movie are. Oh yeah. Did not uh, happen or, or except the ones that did or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like even though the events in this movie are fiction, even except for the ones that are based on real stuff. I know we use real people, but it's not real except for when it is. I wish I had written it down. But it's like it's like that typical no animals were harmed thing, but with like a, about a gazillion uh, caveats, and uh, caveats and disclaimers. This movie is a work of fiction, except when it isn't. And uh, uh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's really good. It's like so. Yeah, uh, your your reaction to coming to this from fo- from only seeing three. Um, it's one of those things. Like, it's a great. If I were to make a horror movie, it would look a lot like this, but I wouldn't do it as good because. I don't know as much about horror or about the industry and I don't have access to this IP. Right. But I would totally make something that like, I love making shit that straddles the line between uh, fiction and reality. And this one does that most pretty well, pretty well. Yeah. And then like the self-examining horror film was pretty new at this point. Like certainly people had done it before, but this was a pretty big public one with a major character. And 
it really does feel like a, a dry run for Scream with uh, how much it is self-referential and how much it does examine the way people view horror movies and the way people react around horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think I liked it better when it was still a mystery as to whether or not there was a supernatural element, like, or when I could, when I could choose to read it that way. Yeah. Like the, the last act, it, it does kind of fall apart. I, I do feel like the, the last bit where it's just like them in the water. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I got the idea. You you can reel this in anytime now. Mm-hmm. Especially if they introduce the oven and then like, we did. We really glossed over it, but there was so much stuff leading up to Freddy being pushed into the oven. Oh yeah, there, it, like there's just there's like a solid ten to fifteen minutes of them just sloshing around hip deep in water in a Mexican restaurant, and it's like, I get it. We can just move on anytime. <laughs> it's the climax, but it's like the least interesting part. Yeah, it, I it, I really liked that first act where she's like we're seeing her having a giant anxiety attack in real time. Through well, this one shitty day. Because there's still plot happening. Uh, there, yeah. There's really nothing that happens in this last like bit that really does anything. So yeah. it, it's just sort of like, yep, uh, we're still just being menaced by Freddy in a dream. Uh, I've seen this a lot by this point, and I, I, it was more interesting having some sort of context around it rather than just, here's Freddy being scary. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, mostly like- really good. I like the idea of it not really being a sequel in the same. It is and isn't in the same continuity as the other Freddies, mm-hmm. because like it's it's a it's a layer uh, removed because it's a Freddy's finishing the actors instead of the. Uh, yeah, it's it's in continuity with the other movies having been made, but yeah. not them having been in continuity with this. They they just it, it's a movie about people who made those movies experiencing a freddy now i want to see jamie lee curtis as herself fighting michael myers that's kind of what halloween 2018 sort of is to be kind of yeah yeah actually although i feel like in real life jamie lee curtis would win although she wins in that movie she does wins in the next one yeah which we'll talk about actually yeah we are going to talk about that aren't we uh, so any last thoughts before we move on to part three? Ooh, I think I got them all out. All right. Uh, on to part three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about other movies we've watched in the past week and deciding what we're going to watch next week. And as we were getting to at the end of part two, we watched Halloween Kills this weekend. And how there are all if uh nightmare new nightmare didn't had a low kill count this movie has an extremely high kill count for a slasher yeah this one's crazy uh there there are it was very interesting and exciting in a way to see uh michael myers tear through just like a city's blo- city block full of people Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I've I've never seen that happen in a slasher movie before, where it's it's not just someone striking from the bushes; they're just like taking on a bunch of people because they're a fucking immortal monster. Yeah, yeah. This one which, continues in the continuity of the Halloween 2018, which only takes into account the first one, I believe. Yes. 
Yeah, so um, it's interesting because that one didn't seem to have Michael have any supernatural powers, but here he really does seem to. Right, and in the first of these, he didn't either. This one feels like it's sort of in conversation with the whole series to me, because it's Mm -hmm. like him uh, as this immortal monster, because obviously he survived all that shit at the end of the first one. He got shot in the head in in the last movie and then like burnt up and then... You know, this one, he starts by coming out of the burning house, having been pretty badly burned up. And he just, like, tears through the entire fire department. Uh, using their own freaking tools. He just murders, like, the whole <laughs> firemen. And that one guy who just keeps hosing him, that, that cracks <laughs> It's funny. It's, I mean, like, some people hate this movie, and I get it. I get it. Because, like, um, there's... It really goes for one. Yeah, he is no longer he he is clearly not a human threat as he was in the previous movie. He is just full on zombie monster man. He is an incarnation of death almost. Yeah. And like the mob stuff, which I think is what most people hate about it. It is too much. <laughs> I, I like yeah, it. I thought yeah. it, was, it was interesting. And I, I kind of thought it was cool that they got back. Uh, Kyle Richards to reprise her role as the the as Lindsay. That was oh, fun. Oh yeah, yeah. And Anthony Michael Hall was all right as Tommy Doyle. But <laughs> so he was the one who was Paul Rudd in the in some of yeah. the other ones. Yeah, Paul Paul Rudd in uh, Curse of Michael Myers was Tommy mm-hmm. Doyle because you know it's it's the the other kid who it, like that's the kid Laurie was babysitting and Lindsay yeah. was the kid across the street. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And yeah, basically the the whole thing is like they've got like this whole chat going about how evil dies tonight. Uh, spoiler alert: he does not die. He it's not even like questionable. Like, uh, did Michael survive this? No, Michael survived. He's still out there. He's still doing his thing. Yeah, and like it it does kind of I don't know. Like I I think a lot of people's problem with it is the whole woke mob concept and just there there is. There is a lot of shaggy bits. Like you got some comedy in this. You got some silly yeah. characters. Uh, the 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 gay couple who live in the Myers house, one of whom is uh, Mad TV's Michael McDonald. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know they're 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 a little silly. They're big. They're they're a little bit too much. I think I. They're a they're bit f- much. Like they're funny, but they're fun. It, they kind of do feel out of place in this movie, which is extremely gory. Like the, the oh, gore yeah. is brutal. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's weird. It's a very strange mix. I get yeah. why people hate it, but I liked it and I liked it more than most of the other Halloween movies. Ultimately. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was wondering where it sat on your uh, ranking because I've only seen the first one. Like the only ones I've seen recently are the first one. Number three uh, and the 2018. I've seen some of the so, ones when I was a kid, but so I don't spoilers. Remember. The the order that you listed them in, that's the order for me. Those that's number one, two, and three. <laughs> Original number three, uh, Halloween 2018. Um, I and then probably either this one or two or I think it was five that I found really hilarious this last time. Mm. So maybe five might creep up in there. 
Okay. But yeah, I don't I don't like the sequels to this series. And this one like grapples with the same thing. And I just think it comes to a more interesting way of dealing with it. It's it's like they don't build more lore into Michael. They just like, yeah, now he is an unkillable machine. And here is him just going on a fucking rampage. Oh that makes more God. sense to me. It does. It's fine. Holy shit, does he kill? Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's... You, you can't think of a better title for this movie than Halloween Kills. Yeah, Halloween Kills. He, he truly does. And again, like, you got a new John Carpenter score. I'm always going to be here for that. Oh, it was John Carpenter this time? Yeah, the last one, too. He he did oh, cool. new scores for both of these, and he's got one coming out for the next one, which is coming out next month, by the way. Oh. Halloween ends. Oh, so coming maybe soon. Evil does die that night. It might. Eh, maybe. Well, not that I night. Guess we're I mean, see. That night was over. <laughs> Yeah, that night was pretty over. Yeah, I mean, there's things that I don't like about it. I really didn't like uh, The Last Death, which uh, I won't talk about because, you know, we're not really doing a full review of the movie, but I I really didn't like it. Uh, Uh, I liked the use of the Halloween 3 masks. Yeah, that was fun. I I enjoyed seeing all of those. Yeah, um, Uh, I was led to believe they'd play a more important part, but, you know, they're just there. Me too. Yeah, I would have liked... I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing some more uh, Halloween 3 references kind of strewn about. But I, I do like the way that this uh, that, that both of those do fan service. Like they are acknowledging the movies and they're kind of playing with them uh, as a toolbox. But they're not. It's not winking. You know? Yeah, it, it isn't annoying. Mm-hmm. Oh, but we do have uh, for things that do annoy me. uh CGI Donald Pleasance could have done without that. I don't know. Like no, trend of... was not CGI. Oh, really? It's just some dude who looks like him. Oh, well, I feel better about that. Yeah. I don't like the CGI and dead actors thing. I don't like it. No, I'm not a huge fan of that either. Uh, I get it. But, I, I, you know, if they're if, if they were involved in the de- production already, but, you know, if, yeah, if they've been I guess dead, it really depends if, if they died uh 25 years ago like donald pleasance like maybe let them be dead yeah maybe don't bring back uh tupac shakur to do a rap battle with someone who wasn't even born when he died that's weird okay so we have 10 picks for the second uh movie next week uh first up is horror high uh this is a 70s grindhouse drive-in real grimy nerd rage shit you know? all right <laughs> uh it's it's this uh it's this nerd he's a real classic nerd and he's being bullied and he's honestly kind of a creep okay uh he's trying to turn a guinea pig into a monster and oh. he's like because you know he's, he's got like this jekyll and hyde serum and he, you know he's, he's trying to uh I, I don't know if he's exactly trying to turn it into a monster but he's testing on the the guinea pig uh, and he uses the stuff and it kills the janitor's cat. Oh. And the janitor obviously takes offense to that uh, yeah. and, like, uh, makes him drink the stuff, the formula. So he turns into, like, a guinea pig monster and kills the janitor. And then, you know, he, he does, like, a werewolf thing. You know, he comes back and kills the teachers and the jocks, you know, the everyone who's mean to him. Mm-hmm. It's it's gross. It's quite unpleasant, honestly. Uh, there's a really fun paper cutter death, though, which is just like, Ooh. you know, the classic paper cutter. Big. Oh, yeah. I love those things. Great 
you know, one of those things that like should be a, a more classic element in horror movies, like in slasher movies, not used enough. So it was cool to see that. Yeah, I had one of those at my old work. Uh, I called it the guillotine and it made everyone uncomfortable. And I don't know why. It's like, what else are you going to call it? And they're like, it's a paper cutter. guillotine. Yeah. Sometimes like it's a, the, you, they, they sometimes were designed to be like guillotine like. Yeah. Uh, next up is Child's Play 3. Uh, I like this one was the one that was. Uh, in yes. The... Yeah, this is the one. Uh, and not very clear because it, it's the description from the video nasties thing. It's just like there's a scene where someone is killed when people are spattered in blue paint. And that's the connection, which is just what? really fucking loose. And also it turned out that they never even saw the fucking movie. So, well, like, you know, that sounds it, right. It was a, a completely manufactured moral panic, but I like this one a lot. Okay. Uh, this one has Andy sent off to military school. It's like eight years later. Oh. Even though uh, the movie was actually made the next year. <laughs> they, so they just recast Andy. Uh, and so, yeah, he's in military school. And I, I guess what's interesting about it is showing Andy develop into, like, he is now, they're like... Chucky isn't trying to get into Andy anymore. There's a new like five-year-old in the military school that he's like, I mean, obviously I'm going to go for the younger kid who's easier to groom. Right. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, so, Andy has all those uh, toys, Woody and Buzz. <laughs> well, yeah, th this Andy, you know, he's, he's still mediocre. He's not really good at anything. He's very bad with guns when they try to teach him guns at military school. Uh oh, he's kind of an emo kid, uh, proto emo kid. Right. Uh, and but but like he gets to step up and be, you know, where where as a kid, no one ever believed him. And it sort of led him down this path where he's ended up in military school and foster care. He is there to be there for that kid and believe him and guide him. Oh, OK. So. So it's interesting to sort of show the the growth over time. Uh, but, yeah, it's also really nuts. Uh, you know, it's at a military college They're They have a big climactic paintball competition where Chucky obviously replaces all of it with live ammo. Of course. <laughs> uh, one of the main characters, like a friend character, jumps on a grenade and gets blown the fuck up, which is mm -hmm. something I've never seen before. Uh, you know, like a, a com comedic character who's like a... a the friend of a friend of Andy, just wild. Right. Uh, for some reason, there's a carnival right next door to the military college. That's where the climax is. All right. In in like a a dark ride. <laughs> of course, of course. Next up is Tarantulas, the Deadly Cargo. You caught the end of this one. I caught the end of this movie, and it made no fucking sense. So there's these guys go down to Ecuador and they're getting a whole bunch of Ecuadorian coffee beans. Cause they're really big in San Francisco. Like they'll be able to sell them at a premium, but like they're worthless there. No one even wants them. What about fair so trade coffee? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's this sort of thing. Like they, they have a whole uh, face off with the junta at the start. Like the, <laughs> it's, it's, Clearly not good things. And it's completely infested with very venomous tarantulas. Of course. So the plane goes down in a California orange grove. And it's Ooh. the big day. <laughs> the big day. They they can't interrupt the harvest. The mayor from Jaws economy will collapse. <laughs> like, you oh, know, it's, no. it's, it's, 
like they they have a guy who runs the harvest or whatever and he does the whole well you know we'll have a panic on our hands we can't tell them about the spiders and it's it's that whole thing my favorite part though is they've like the plane has crashed and they're starting to like see if people are alive in it they haven't been able to evacuate anyone and they see a gasoline leak so they've like carefully drawn it off in this trough and uh it's it's going away and like they they've got this whole like elaborate ditch system dug very carefully by the bystanders and then someone comes roaring up on a motorcycle and flips into it (laughs) and explodes and then the plane explodes and it's like spiders and beans raining everywhere like that's how it kicks i was like okay that's wild for a tv movie okay uh also really fun tv movie funk score Uh, next up is Stanley, uh, which is a real grungy, grungy movie. This is a, this was a double bill or like uh, is a two pack with uh, uh, Horror High from Vinegar. Okay. Uh, so this one's a William Griffey. He did uh, Sting of Death. That we oh, watched. yeah. So Florida, uh, Everglades. And the main character is a Seminole who loves snakes and hates people. Uh, and he has just tons and tons and tons of pet snakes. Uh, and then people come and kill his snakes. So he has to kill them. Kill the people. Uh, why do they have to kill snakes? Yeah, you know what's unpleasant? They kill the snakes in the movie for real. Oh, 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 I don't like that. Yeah, they're, 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 uh, they they uh, have like even like snakes that you've uh, spent some time with. And they fucking go. Oh. It's, it's, it's brute, oh. quite brutal. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very strange movie. It's super, super grimy, like very, very grimy. And uh, William Griffey makes this other movie, Mako Jaws of Death, which is kind of the same movie, but with sharks and it's better. <laughs> Jaws of Death, not to be confused with the uh, other shark movie that. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mako Jaws of Death. <laughs> uh, next is Sound and Fury. It's a French coming of age movie sort of uh but kind of like run through with uh, surrealism okay uh i've seen this one on the stacks for a while yeah it's been on there like it's kind of a deep pull so it's this this young boy he's he's like 14 but he's sort of developmentally arrested at like age seven okay uh, and he, he's like been living with his grandmother and she dies. So he's sent to like this high rise in the city where his mom is just completely absent all the time. Like okay. we, we only hear her through uh, the answering machine with like oh. messages she sends. <laughs> that absent. Fortunately, he has a shape changing canary that grants miracles and sometimes turns into women who sleep with him. I think sometimes it just takes him up on the roof. I don't know. That's uh I don't know how I would feel about having a pet that turns into a woman and sleeps with me. Like, I'm just. Yeah, especially when you have the mind of a seven year old. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah, uh, he's I mean, enrolled. Would you sleep with any of your dogs? I would. I don't think I'd sleep with my cat. No, it's extremely no. Uh, so he's enrolled in a class for troubled kids and just the most troubled kid of all, like the. Just a budding sociopath, like yeah. very dangerous kid who's like his dad has, is firing guns in the house and he's coming from a very unstable household and he's worse than the dad. Like he's oh. getting into shit. Uh, he's part of a gang who's like 
rolling people and stuff. He he takes a shine to this kid for some reason, and they become besties. And uh, it's it just like, you know, everything's going to go bad and no one's going to get out alive, right? <laughs> yeah. It's rough. Very good. But yeah, uh, strange, artsy, uh, uh, an amount of surrealism that you're like, not totally sure fully what happened. At, okay. At All right. That sounds interesting. Uh, next up is The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, baby. Oh, wrong one. Similar, though, like one of the heaviest influences on Austin Powers, for sure. This one. OK, cool. Was this uh, is this Roger Moore? Yeah. So this is the next Roger Moore one after Man with the Golden Gun. OK. You've seen Moonraker, right? Oh, I've seen Moonraker uh, quite a this bit. Is, this is the same plot as Moonraker, except underwater instead of. Space. Oh, so he's going to create like the ubermensch civilization underwater yeah he's gonna create the sea lab civilization and destroy the world with nuclear missiles and everybody's gonna have to live underwater with him okay it's the same plot uh it also has jaws oh jaws was in he's introduced in this one this is the first appearance of him then i may have seen this I mean, you've seen Moonraker, so you kind of have seen this. Uh, have you seen You Only Live Twice? I don't know. Because it's also heavily, like, just patterned on that with, like, his villainous lair. It's just, like, a cool sea lab. I love the lair. It's oh, awesome. yeah, I have seen You Only Live Twice. This one starts with him faking it. That one starts with him faking his death, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen that one a long, long time ago. I love that one. That was my favorite Bond movie. Ooh, okay. Uh, but th- this one is okay. Uh, I don't love this one. Th- th- like, this is kind of seen as the iconic Moore one. Like, most people would consider this the high watermark of the Moore movies. It's one that I don't return to a lot, and I don't love it, but I do love the bass. I do love Jaws. I do love uh, the Bond car is like this Lotus Esprit that turns into a submarine. Ooh. That's kind of rad. Uh, and Q's appearance in this is really fun, but I, I don't find more to give me like he doesn't leave much of an impression on me at all in this one. Um, you know, no. no impression is better than the impression Roger Moore usually leaves. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the thing. I'm just not a Moore fan. I find him. I don't know. I, it's not that I find him super unpleasant. I just like I don't vibe with him. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Oh, was that the one where he drops fake Donald Pleasance into a smokestack or is that later? That's much later. Okay. Uh, I think that's the last one. I think uh, that's View to a Kill. Uh, that's at this the point, only one I remember about that movie. Oh, see, because like at this point, uh, what that that character Blofeld was under dispute. Yeah. So they weren't allowed to use him for quite a while. Yeah, and then they just drop him down a smokestack. Yeah, that that's when yeah. he shows up again. <laughs> uh, yeah, next up never is shows face. Yeah. Next up is Libido. Okay. This is a very fundamental early giallo, like one of the earliest ones. So there's these four people who are staying at this estate that they all have a stake in it, like in the inheritance in some sort of way. Okay. So like the the guy who owned the house, he uh, was a crazy guy who had this mirrored BDSM sex room and his son saw him murder a lady in there at some point. And it's totally messed him up, and he's been in an institution for a while. And it's him coming out of the institution, and he's now married, the son of the owner. And he's, for some reason, come back with the 
his servant or like the the housekeeper who also has a new wife who's this weird blonde bimbo who seems really dumb but theatrically dumb to the point that she's kind of putting it on <laughs> uh, and I it's like kind of love the fake dumb uh, blondes in movies yeah and and it's uh, this whole thing like is he going crazy is he being gaslit who's doing the gaslighting is it everybody <laughs> no mm-hmm. uh next up is dr strange love love this movie uh it's pretty much like the perfect cold war movie it's still yeah like it holds up completely still chilling still very funny uh sterling hayden is fucking hilarious the fluid stuff like your bodily oh fluids fluoridation. About that. like the frogs are gonna get turn gay yeah it's it's total q stuff too oh, the fluoridation in the water oh, my precious <laughs> bodily fluids Oh, yeah, it's weird. I I really love just the airplane interior and the sort of sealed hermetic space of the war room. I find them really just comforting as primary movie locations. There's something about the movie that's kind of oddly cozy in a perverse sort of way. You know, I was just thinking when I saw this thing on there, I was like, you know, I want to see the inside of that airplane again. Yeah. And just I, I feel like there's no more potent image than just slim pickens yeehawing on a fucking nuclear bomb <laughs> riding it down to the apocalypse just that like it's it's crazy how resonant that image remains because like it's still funny and chilling at the same time yeah uh next up is the ufo incident Ooh. it's another made for tv movie so it's cheap <laughs> the <laughs> the alien effects are pretty cheap so this is uh based on betty and barney hill oh okay okay uh pretty famous uh ufo uh abductees uh played by estelle parsons and james earl jones okay uh james cool. earl jones is fantastic in this like really good like unbelievable for just uh an obscure tv movie uh, like he 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 clearly took the role very very seriously and and like cared about this character and probably spent some time uh, getting to know like Barney Hill and how he thought in terms of like all the tapes of him talking about the incident. Oh, interesting. All right. Uh, it's a it's a real slow burn. A lot of it's just kind of them re recounting their experiences uh, to a psychiatrist and like undergoing hypnotic regression and stuff. The <laughs> the aliens do look pretty silly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's kind of fun. Cool, cool. And last up is Flavia the Heretic. We're back to some nunsploitation. Ah, uh, yes, of course. This one's real gruesome. It's, it's, so this is, Flavia is forced into a convent. This is kind of how all of these start. Someone's forced into one. And she sees just constant torture and hypocrisy there for like, a solid hour. Oh, wow. And then a Muslim army shows up. She goes out to meet them. And she joins them and she fucking raises the fucking convent with them. <laughs> uh, and just like con- continues on. It's like, well, let's fucking roll it on and down. We'll take the whole system down with us. Fuck the patriarchy. Uh, it's it's ba- it's super nasty. It's really gory. Uh, mm. Quite a thing. All right. So what do you figure for next week? Um. 
Well, let's see. That is a tough one. Is there anything besides Dr. Strangelove that you think I'd find not necessarily better, but interesting, different? I mean, I think you would really like UFO Incident. I think you'd like uh, Sound and Fury, probably. Okay. Uh, those are both pretty solid. I mean, Flavi the Heretic is fascinating. Libido is very good. Like, mm. you know, sort of a, a giallo that kind of uh, very early, because like this is black and white. It's 1965. It's sort of just when they're figuring out how the genre is going to work. So it's just okay. everyone's suspicious of everybody else. And Child's right. Play 3, I, I would say, is uh, equally good to the first one, pretty much. Cool. So, all right, some good recommendations. Um, ah, but Dr. Strangelove, though. It is a great movie. I mean, I, I, uh, I do agree. Yeah, that's really good. It was, I think it was my first Kubrick interesting um maybe maybe mine too no i think i saw the shining first uh i definitely didn't um well why don't we do the sound and fury i like ones where you can't really figure out what happened yeah that that uh i i know that does tend to appeal to you so that that one's pretty cool that's i mean that's why i probably new nightmares like one probably one of my favorite horrors now nice nice it's top five i'd say Awesome. Okay, so we have a few additions to the main stacks. Okay. First up is Terror Out of the Sky. Uh, this is a another TV movie, and it's a, another Animals Attack TV movie. Okay. Uh, it's Killer Bees. This is actually a sequel to another TV movie about killer bees called The Savage Bees. Oh. Uh, which I don't have, and I haven't okay. seen. Uh, but, you know, this is just bees... Uh, they invade a research facility. They're apparently going to descend upon and obliterate this small town. So a bunch of scientists have to race to stop them. Okay, cool. Uh, next up is King Car, where there's this kid who grows up being able to talk to cars. And, like, they'll talk back to him and stuff, right? All right, sure. And his childhood best friend is a car, and he becomes the car messiah. And... It's like near future and old cars are outlawed. So they start this illicit business of retrofitting old cars. And it also sort of turns into a car religion. And there's definitely car sex involved. (laughs) All right, cool. Uh, Next is Golden Arm, which is like a gender flipped over the top. Have you ever seen Over the Top Stallone movie? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have. He's uh, entering an arm wrestling competition and putting up his semi- you know, for the love of his son. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Really dopey 80s ridiculous. Like, it's called over the top. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's that, but it's gender flipped. It's this small town baker lady who's in debt, and she enters the world of arm wrestling, coached by uh, just her her friend, who's an arm wrestling champion, is much more butch. All right. Next up is Blood Hunt. Uh, where a doctor moves to this small Spanish town, and everyone's talking like, we're gonna, we're gonna do something about all them junkies and drug dealers and no goodness. Uh, and it's not like uh, that's coming up. So they're, you know, we're gonna do something about them someday. It's like, it sounds like these guys are doing this real soon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and for the title, Blood Hunt. Uh, ultimately, that's kind of where the movie climaxes, is my understanding, is them starting to do something about it. Ah. 
And, la- and next, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. You may have heard of that one. I Kubrick Space. Uh, <laughs> space da, movie, Monolith. Da, 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 have you seen 2001? I have not. Oh, I know exactly two things about this movie, and one is that there's a monolith, and two is that he can't do that, Dave. Okay. Cause like, They're all uh, dead, Dave. Wait, no, that's it, not. No, that's not. Uh, you, you, this is one that you probably will have seen a lot more than you think you have of. Very unlikely. I. I... It's, <laughs> it's it's just one of those. There there's so much stuff in it that is like iconic. Uh, the All effects right. are incredible. Really psychedelic movie. Like intentionally a psychedelic movie. It has a whole trip sequence Ooh. later in the in the uh, conclusion. Okay. And last edition is Benedetta. We got nuns. We got nuns. Uh, this I is see a nipple. This is a Paul Verhoeven movie, the newest Paul oh. Verhoeven movie. Oh wow! Uh, known for you know RoboCop, Total Recall, Showgirls. Right. Uh, this okay. one's a uh, 17th century nun, uh, where Benedetta, a new novitiate, is maybe a miracle worker, maybe a compulsive liar. I don't know. Uh, and you know, uh, just the nunsploitation, 17th century by Verhoeven, but like made last year. Oh wow, yeah, last year. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. So, what do you <laughs> what do you figure for our uh, first movie next week? Um. Well, kind of glad I didn't pick um, the what you call it. Uh, uh, Doctor Strangelove because I'm really leaning towards 2001. I don't think I could do two Kubricks in one week. <laughs> so, yeah, it's heavy. Uh, 2001 is amazing, but like you do know for sure that it will also be uh, it, like I'm going to watch it next, next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, th- so it will be available there too. Uh, and it's, yeah. it's one I'll return to, but yeah, I mean, you could certainly choose it. It's a great movie. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make probably a very non-me choice and i'm gonna go with benedetta i'm gonna do the nun's right. and the see nun what movie. the hell this is all right I have cool no idea cool I've, i like i have not seen this one and i've seen pretty much every other paul verhoven movie so i'm stoked to catch up with this one his last one l was really fun well fun uh, it, it, that that one was him kind of pulling at the threads of the rape revenge movie, uh, just like this one. I think will be him pulling at the nunsploitation movie, like he did with, you know, Basic Instinct as the erotic thriller. And it's like, is this cool? I don't know. Showgirls, is this cool? You guys like sex this much? I don't know. <laughs> right on. Interesting. Should be good. All right. So next week we're doing uh, Benedetta and. Sound and Fury, was it? Yes, that's what we decided. Right, right, okay. Uh, all right, yeah, Benedetta and Sound and Fury. That should be a good time. Any last thoughts uh, before we... Or, uh, any any last thoughts for this evening? <laughs> yeah, one, two, Shannon's <laughs> coming for... Actually, no, Shannon does not come for anyone. You come to her. Uh, all right, uh, thanks everyone so much for listening, and uh, I only cut the air when I... Come here and move some air.